welcome to this week's episode of the Back to Back Films Podcast. This week we're covering the original Ghost in the Shell and the newly released remake. As always, in order to have the best discussion possible, we recommend that you watch the two films we'll be discussing before listening to the episode because of spoilers. I'm your host, Keith. This is Byron. And I'm Jacob. Hi, how you guys doing? I'm doing good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is that face? What the fuck? <laughs> oh my god. Did I make a face? <laughs> oh, I didn't want to like speak and then I was like, oh gosh, is he gonna speak or am I gonna go? <laughs> We're both being really polite. Like, oh no, you you talk first. Uh, uh, that's awesome. Yes. Yeah, yeah, doing good. I'm I'm excited for this one. Ghost Initial I've been pumped for this for a while. Yeah, it gave me an excuse to watch the anime finally. <laughs> Sweet. Like, oh, you hadn't seen it before? Oh, no. dude. No, well, but actually... You watched it. Yeah, and I was able to fit in two viewings before this. Because uh, I, I watched it once in Japanese and then once in English. Dope. I'm surprised you got through Western without being forced to watch it in, in, in film studies or English class. Because this movie is like crack for English majors. I feel like it's like the... You know, a big uh, English major movie. Yeah, that's where I first uh, saw it uh, through Don Dietrich's class. <laughs> what class was that? It was um, it was an anime film studies class. Yeah. Oh, see, that's, that's cool. Yeah, I never took an anime based one. I, I watched it in uh, Pr- Pritchard's, I think Pritchard's I class. That he oh, I took all of his classes. Oh man, Pritchard was, was the oh man, Kaveh Ascari and Tony Pritchard. Dude, yeah, Kave those are my was, two favorite. Yeah. Uh, oh, man. I never had Kave. I heard. Well, Don Dietrich was awesome too, but I only had it her for one class. So <laughs> Kave is actually a name that you are. Uh, if you're someone who like wants to look into film history stuff, you actually there's a good chance you'll come across his name because he's really into like the older films and film preservation and stuff, and like does a lot of extracurricular work outside of his like being a professor or whatever. Yeah, I don't know where he's at anymore because I don't think he's at Western. No, I think he did leave. He yeah, was only he there dipped. for a little while. Yeah, he's really like, I mean, he was flying back and forth to like Italy. Yeah, and yeah. Shit, like <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. A cool guy. I definitely felt like it was cool taking his classes. I I took a uh, 1920s Hollywood with him. Oh, that man. Was interesting. And it, I don't know, like. I don't know if I was in the right mindset to be watched in a class that's all about the 20s. And, like, we touched on sound a little bit, and then we watched the artist. Um, but it was, like, it was kind of hard. It was, like, really high-level class. Yeah, his classes right. were definitely very... Like, I don't know, I took a class... I don't know, it was, like, a, it was like 367 or something like that. And it was a little bit different than I was expecting, but it was, like... It dealt with, like, social... like. Like pop culture through film, but like it was all theory. So it was like, yeah. but it was all stuff from like mainly the fifties. Mm-hmm. Like pop, like when where like pop culture, you know, like started. Kind of, you know, more. I don't know how to explain that, but yeah, it was like super, super interesting. But it was like the textbook that we had was this like huge, huge book, and the Whoa. papers were like. Like that, each paper was like like you know the Bible like then Bible you know pages, like yeah. it was just insane, but it was awesome. <laughs> I still nice. have it. 
Yeah, I kept all my film books from school because I've actually been, I've used them a couple of times in doing research for this podcast so far. So, yeah, I think I I have some. I only kept one. I I just kept one that was like the like cinema cinema terms. Like it's just this huge dictionary of like all the cinematic terms according according to the authors, I guess. (laughs) I just got one called Filmisms. It was made in like the. It was written in like the '90s, I think, or something, and it was written by Roger Ebert, and it's all just filmisms and like film. Is that the that's the critic guy? That yeah, yeah. It's a pretty hilarious book. It's like all like it's it's stuff like uh, it's like dumb things like God damn it, why am I blinking? It's like like stereotypical things that happen in film, you know. So like. If there's a car, if you're in a car chase or whatever, the car is going to be able to shift through more gears than it actually has. And that's always going to be in every car chase film ever. You know, like Fast and Furious is notorious for it, where, like, they'll shift, like, 18 times in one sequence. Right. It's like, dude, yeah, like they have... keep cranking, like, they crank it up to 11. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. Like, they keep, like, what gear are they on? Yeah, that's pretty funny. So they do, like, they just, yeah, little things like that. And it's just, like, all these different rules of... If if a movie's like this, then it will be like this in every movie that, that you know, it's, it's supposed to be like kind of a joke book. Like, whatever. it's pretty funny because I, I feel like a lot of people or not people, a lot of a lot of filmmakers will like pride themselves in do like you know counting the bullets that come out of the gun. You know what I mean? Like, yep. Uh, I recently watched Green Room, like a month ago, and that movie was like, like it felt like it was almost like in response to like the crazy gun movies. Like they were like counting each bullet and like making sure it was kind of going in and it, each bullet was really intentional. You know what I mean? Like it, it wasn't like, I don't know if I wasn't counting bullets of John wick, but bullets are just flying around everywhere. And that's like the style of that movie. Right. But green room, it was like, let's do slow, like intentional shots. Like everything is, is incredibly intentional. Not, not, not in a good or bad way. I'm just, you know, it, uh, seems like a response to that almost oh green room was awesome <laughs> i still haven't seen it it's on my list uh, but john wick's known for that though that's like its big claim is that it's, it's gun uh gun kata is essentially like <laughs> realistic you know like he has to reload and there's only a, a finite amount of bullets in his gun and do they actually they actually count the bullets in john wick they it's, i don't think it's they legit. count it well i don't know if he I don't know if if you mean by counting. I don't think he counts as bullets. It's just that I mean, like if the what I mean is if the viewer went through and counted every single shot that he shot from his bullet, would he exceed the amount that were allowed in the chamber? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I think they tried their best to keep it as like realistic as possible. With, oh, that's cool. With, when it comes to like the yeah, that is you know like yeah. the how many shots he's able to, to right, let right. off and stuff like that before yeah. he has to reload. That's cool. I'm guessing someone's already done that where they've gone through and counted. Like, Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw something that was like, it counted all the deaths in the movie. And it was just like a, you know, like a 20. It was like the movie. It was like, they just played the movie and counted the death. Um, you know, they, 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 I'm going to restart. I saw this thing <laughs> that was putting all the deaths together in, in a movie. And it was like this 22 minute segment which is like the whole movie you know what i mean it was just like every death and it g- gave it like a, a second per death it was pretty good it was pretty funny what movie <laughs> was this or what john wick 
Oh, and John Wick? Wow, yeah. really? There was that many deaths in that movie? Well, there's a lot. Because I want to say, like, the first one had, like, 70 or something. Holy and then the second shit. one is, like, 100 and something, rather. Or something. I, I, I can't, I don't remember, but. I saw I'm, a cool. I'm looking it up. I saw a cool infographic that uh, compared deaths in movies. And, like, it, it, I'm pretty sure John Wick, yeah, yeah, was on there and was actually pretty high up. I can't remember what the first, the top uh, yeah, I wonder, movie was. Yeah, I wonder what is, like, the highest body count in a film. I wonder what film that is. It's actually I've never thought of that. More movies are up there usually, right. like obviously. Right. Uh, so John Wick Two had 128 deaths. Oh, okay. Or kills, I guess is. And he had, they even counted his shot accuracy, which is 80.1 percent. <laughs> oh, and he shot 302 times. That's so many bullets he fired. Wow. Well, this is cool. We, sh- we should link this in the show notes, but it's just like a, you know, chart that has all the. You know, like, he shot 104 bullets into people's heads. He shot 90 into people's chest. Um, he shot one in the FFFT, which I'm not I'm not really sure what that is. But FFFT? Yeah. FFT? Hmm. Feet, 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 toes? I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, it looks like it's the top of the toe. There's a little body here with a small... Oh, yeah, he does do that. Yeah, that's right, because he, like, shoots their feet, and then they fall down, and then he, like, either, like, shoots them in the knee or the or the head or something. Yeah, that's badass. Yeah, he's cool. Well, somebody... That's kind of... I mean, it's cool, but it's kind of crazy that they actually went through <laughs> the film. Yeah, people I mean, are obsessed that. with that stuff. <laughs> you know? People, yeah, people just get obsessed. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, we should... We'll put this in the show notes or whatever. Because it's pretty funny. Yeah, see, I, I search for most kills in a movie infographic, and then John Wick 2 is, like, the one thing that shows up, like, on almost all of these. Because he kills the most people. He's he a does, killer. but I just saw one that said Jason Voorhees is 146 people, so... Dang. He Uh-oh. takes the cake. There's definitely, I've, I definitely saw it in infographic though that was like, you know, I mean, obviously horror movie characters are on there because that's just the nature of horror. They just kill right. people. Oh yeah, yeah Kill is. Bill One would be up there. Oh, that's as a right, decent Kill amount Bill. Of people. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. The black and white uh, scene. <laughs> you guys, you guys know why that scene is in black and white? Do you guys know the answer? Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I, go ahead. No, you go ahead. You, I, well, from what I heard is that. Like they just, the the rating board was like, yeah, no, we'll, we'll rate it NC seventeen if it's if if it's not black and white, yep. you know. And they it and was to like, maintain okay. the R rating, right? Yeah, so cool. But, <laughs> what a, what a dude, like easy fix, you know what I mean? Just like bloop, black and white, and then the board. That's you know, that's just how stupid the MPAA is. Like oh, honestly, no, yeah, you know what I mean? Like. Yeah, the documentary that covers the MPAA is super interesting. Oh, we should, we should do it. an yeah, episode actually on the MPAA. Awesome documentary. It's definitely on the list. So many good stories about about the MPAA. How there's essentially no standard. It's just up to like whether or not they want to call a movie R. <laughs> like it's basically right. that. Like it's weird. Like back to Kill Bill. Sorry. Uh, there, um, you can actually get a version from Japan that. It's that that sequence is not in black and white; it's in color, and it's edited as one movie. So, Kill Bill Volume One and Two are edited together. That's not the whole bloody affair. 
I think it is, right? Because yeah. I don't know if that ever got released or not. I think it's only released in Japan. Oh, I think. That's I've been looking for it. Yeah. I've been looking for it because I love to watch it. Those movies were block. created back to back, right? They were both greenlit at the same time, and they were initially going to be one movie, but then they split it into two. Yeah, I think that's what it was. It was going to be some one long, like, epic film, and then like Weinstein was like, "Okay, like we we need to cut it." And but I think at that time, Tarantino, like, I, mean, I think he still does it. Totally agreed with it, you know, because he, he. I don't think he wanted to cut any material, you know. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's he doesn't want to cut away from too. an angel for you know twenty to a minute at the beginning of Bait Flight. <laughs> Did you guys hear what I said? No. You guys aren't. You guys don't even hear what I'm saying. Oh, yep. we, I can. Because I mean, I'm just letting you say what you're gonna say because it's gonna be on the recording anyway. But the poor con- like, had the poor connection. Oh, oh, is a there's a poor connection problem? Yeah, we just got poor connection. So I'm just letting you talk to see oh, whatever. You, just, we I have no idea what you just. Said. Have no idea. What I think I, was I talked saying. over you for a little bit. That's yeah, awesome. but I have no idea what you just said at all. <laughs> well, because I I was making a joke about the uh, angel from the Hateful Eight. You know how Tarantino never wants to cut. <laughs> and I expected you guys to laugh, but you guys just give me blank stares. I was like, "Well, did I did I talk incorrectly? Is like, this going to be a running joke now?" The, yeah, every episode. I'll bring I it, feel yeah, that the, we'll the, slip the, it in the, everywhere. The, 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 the wooden hateful eight angel is going to make it in every episode. <laughs> it should be in our poster for back to back. Oh shit! Like, yeah. Have it be the angel. That way, I can look at it every day. <laughs> Every week, once a week, when I look at the episode, it'll be awesome. <laughs> so excited. Oh my god! All right. Uh, so yeah, you guys been working on anything recently? Yeah, Updates I've, I've been uh, I've been working on a lot actually. Uh, you know, I don't know if the listeners care or know this, but we were supposed to record last week. Oh, um, that's right. Yes, we did we miss <laughs> a week. <laughs> we were supposed to do the Evil Dead two movies uh but i just i you know i watched one early and then suddenly i i knew i'd have a busy week last week but um it really like destroyed me and things kept stacking up in the middle of the week so it was like whoa it was like way too much stuff going on but you know i was able to get it all done but i couldn't do the podcast also so on behalf of that i'm uh, i apologize but uh i ended up doing a lot of stuff for visit seattle uh they're doing a promotional bit with upstream music festival have you guys heard of that festival i think so i haven't no it's uh it's the first time it's here like it's the very first um of its kind and it's going to be in downtown seattle pioneer square uh area and uh it's uh just a music festival with a bunch of local music artists and stuff um so it's kind of fun like because i get i got to like go through all this like local like seattle local bands and you know create these short little commercials for them um it's nothing like sexy or anything like that but it's uh you know it's kind of fun to listen to some new music and stuff like that Oh hell yeah! What was that thing that you posted um, earlier uh, today? Um, oh yeah, animated that w- piece. That was pretty sweet. Yeah, that was the uh, other stuff that kept adding up. So Visit Seattle also did a partnership with Sundance this year. Uh, they made five films about Seattle, uh, each 
regarding each of the five senses. So they had sight, sound, smell, touch, and uh, taste. Yeah, taste. Thank you. Um, so yeah, they made five short films. They had like a bunch of filmmaker, five different filmmakers come in, and uh, I think Clay Duvall did one. The she was in. She's a filmmaker. She was in Argo, I think. Um, anyways, hers was super good. All of them are really good. But the one that I posted today on my Facebook is the uh, animated one. So one of them was animated, and it's just super cool. It's it's all it is is this Sasquatch going around smelling Seattle. It's like the weirdest thing, but it just works, and it's just a cool video. You can actually watch it online. Maybe we can also put a link of that in the show notes. But I uh, I cut trailers for all of them and did just random exports for you know a variety of different outlets mostly social media outlets but yeah last week i think i exported more than i ever have in any given week like because there were so many just tiny things that they needed uh so it just got super busy wow that's awesome though and then what's up with the, the film festival this week yeah um yep uh film uh <laughs> restarting, restarting. <laughs> the uh, Phoenix Film Festival is this weekend, and we're I, I have a film playing. It's called Laser Pen. It's a comedy action, like, spy spoof movie. Um, it's just kind of pokes fun at the genre sort of a thing. Uh, I made it with two guys down, in, down here in Phoenix. Uh, they run this production company called Millpool Films. And they're really great dudes, uh, really funny guys. And uh, we just we won this competition a while back, and one of the prizes was it got to go into the Phoenix Film Festival. Um, so we all got free passes, and I'm just it actually the movies start playing tomorrow. Tonight's uh, opening night, but I'm just gonna go watch a bunch of movies. And um, I, you know, the Phoenix Film Festival, it's not as dingy as i thought it would be like i went last year uh and it it was pretty good like there was a lot of people there there's a lot of movies there a lot of good movies there um so frankly i was pretty surprised and you know if i'm being a hundred percent honest i don't you know i don't think our film really belongs <laughs> really belongs at the phoenix film festival like it's 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 fine like it's good but it's not like it's not our best movie that I've done with those guys uh so I don't know I'm just I'm happy to be there you know what I mean I'm happy to participate and uh you know and to go watch a bunch of free movies that sounds pretty cool I mean it's not every day that you get accepted into a festival so just no. being there is it's a pretty big deal I mean it is a competition you know it's a film festival but it, all festivals are competitions so yeah yeah do you enjoy ours it ours isn't part cool. of the traditional competition uh but it's just kind of showing there um, in the Arizona shorts section. So is it is Phoenix Film Festival pretty big? I actually don't know like anything about it. It's pretty big. Um, it's God, I, I don't know the exact stats off the top of my head, but it goes for eight days, and they have like eight auditoriums that are playing movies all day for the entire thing, and each movie plays like two to four times or something like that, and. Uh, you know, I don't know. They they, it's pretty big. Like it's, you know, I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the, what the average size of a festival is, but it. I don't either. I I've I never been to one. It's so. the biggest one in Arizona for sure. Which isn't. I don't think that's saying that much. You've been but to. It, 
I was going to say, you've been to Telluride, Yeah, I've been Byron. to the Telluride Film Festival. That's um, pretty big, right? Three or four times. Yeah, it's actually, I mean, it's big when it comes to, like, like the importance of, like, like you know, it's up there. It, it, it's, it shares the same weekend or a week with um, Venice, and then, you know, shortly after, I believe, Toronto. And it, so it's, like, it's one of the big ones. You know, it's, like, Berlin, Venice, Telluride, Cannes, and... Uh, Toronto are kind of like the main, yeah. the top, the top group. But what's weird about that fest in Telluride is that it's in, it takes place in Telluride, Colorado. It's a small little tiny town. town yeah. So it's like it's a ski town, um, you know. So during the winter, you know, everybody comes up there to primarily just ski and stuff. And um, I, there's a lot of celebrities that own like property up there. Uh, Oprah and uh, Tom Cruise has had a house there, and uh, Ralph Lauren. Um, they. I think they have a ranch up there and stuff. Um, and that's actually where they filmed, ironically, The Hateful Eight. Uh, oh, yeah. Our favorite, Colorado. Our, the podcast's favorite movie. Yeah. Our podcast's favorite film. <laughs> Did so, they film that there? Wow. For some yeah. reason, I thought they... I don't know where the fuck... I thought they filmed it in Canada or something, but that's Yeah, it's really cool. They filmed it in Tyrod, which was pretty awesome. And they actually used... I want to say they actually filmed... Um, and some of these private ranches, which is really cool. That but, makes uh, sense. Cool. But yeah, Was that a like, real angel? Keith is going to be like, if this I, Jacob better not say this joke again. He's like, I, I can see the pain in your eyes every time I bring it up, Keith. It's I okay. See I, it. I have editing power, so. Uh, <laughs> don't shut that out. No, it's I'm leaving joke. everything. I'm, le- I'm even leaving your mess ups earlier where you had to restart. None no. Of that's getting cut. <laughs> don't, don't, don't. 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 <laughs> this is staying in there too. That whole sequence. It's what's, I guess, like to answer your question about Tyrite is that I forget how many attendees actually show up. Um, but what's cool about it is it's all like the people that are there are like hardcore like festival goers, festival goers because one when you buy your festival pass months and months in advance, like it, um, we buy them in March and they're they sold out. They sell, they sell out, fast, you know, yeah. in like a couple weeks, wow. um, and it's getting faster and faster. And the festival isn't until Labor Day weekend, so in September. So like, and you and you you're buying your passes without knowing what films are even going to play there because they don't release that until they used to be the day of, and now I think it's the night before they release the the official wow, um, wow that's uh, pretty cool thing, which is cool. But it because it has such a good. Um, uh, history of, of films that have played there, it's you're you're going, just you know knowing that you're going to leave satisfied because of the the the, the caliber of films and filmmakers that frequent Telluride is just incredible. I mean, like I'm not lying. I'm walking down the street and I look over into this bar slash like restaurant, and Werner Herzog and his wife are sitting there, you know, eating, what? drinking, and eating. Yeah, I'm not Chilling. even kidding. You is know, he interviewing her. Is that how that relationship <laughs> <laughs> um, And then, like, you know, like, I ran into um, Ken, Bur- uh, Ken Burns. Yeah. Leonard Malton was just sitting there next to this fence just talking to these people. Um, Seth and, like, Rogen goes up there. Danny Boyle. Yeah, I mean, it's like... just incredible. Like, it's, it's, it's weird because it's such a small town. And there's no red carpet. There's no paparazzi, and it's then that's kind of the thing about that yeah, festival. Maybe that's why it's so awesome. So yeah, you can actually go and not be bothered. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. It's and it's a, and the thing is, it's a little spendy, and I think that's why maybe those tickets are crazy. Yeah. I looked into it. I think last year it's like what's they're up to like seven hundred bucks. Yeah, I think for some whoa. of the passes. Like the pass that I got or that I've gotten the last 
two or three years was I, mean, I haven't gone for a couple of years but uh, was like 800 bucks and yep. then the first year I went I actually got there through a student symposium I applied for it was like when I was still in college and um, Kavi actually helped me with that oh, uh, nice. and nice. Uh, he told me about it and I was like oh yeah I'll, I'll, I'll attempt or I'll try you know and I actually got in which was crazy but that that you know it hooked me and then the next cut the three years after that I you know I had to I had to go so um, and just you know buy the pass but what's really expensive is the um, the, the the lodging yeah, I bet like it's on demand mm, right yeah so like there's a lot of you know like we got ski lodging like um, my family and I normally go um, and then they kind of do their own thing and then I do the film aspect part of it and they just kind of go and do hikes and go to the local city you know little areas and towns around the house but like around the area but like oh man i would totally recommend it to anybody that loves film and um can you know can save up a little bit of money and just do it because it's it's incredible i mean you're just in like the you know film greatness you know before every film and after every film you know you're a, a, a major film critic will introduce the film and then afterwards you know the, the director or the stars or the producers or writers or whoever um and like we'll we'll talk about the film q and a's and stuff yeah yeah and they have public q and a's yeah so like when i was there one year argo premiered there and they had a public q and a you know ben affleck and all those guys were up there talking about it, it was just so cool you know <laughs> yeah how, how dreamy was affleck in person um I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say dreamy, but I mean, like, he seemed cool. Like, he seemed all right. Like, yeah. The yeah. only person that I... When you see I, him in person, it kind of ruins it, doesn't it? They look well, better. They look hotter in the movies. Well, actually... Well, okay. I, Was he... Okay. Did he get fat? So Was my he first... <laughs> he wasn't fat, but... So my first year, my favorite actor and my favorite actress were there. Marion Cotillard and Mass Mickelson. And they are way cooler in person like they're like like you know what i mean i was like what like how can marion cotillard like look more beautiful in person than on film where they can do whatever <laughs> right like right it was nuts like insane <laughs> that's yeah, cool super cool <laughs> some people are just beautiful and and they end up in hollywood you know <laughs> yeah yeah which makes sense that's a good spot for them i mean you can make a beautiful person an actor you can't really make people beautiful and that's i mean you couldn't can to a degree right but right right some right. people are just born that way <laughs> i feel like i feel like disney's working on that you know what i mean like put anyone <laughs> in front of the screen they can make them look good right well i mean the big trend now is like models they try to convert models into acting and yeah. sports players or like so you fabio know, like the rock <laughs> like rock the is rock the is highest paid actor in in hollywood at the moment yeah, because he's in like every action film right now. But like every action movie. But a lot he's of in I the mean Baywatch. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you look at like uh, some of the UFC fighters. You know, random just sports people who just do some acting roles. Right. You like know, so. John Cena's in, in a lot of stuff, comedies, yeah. and then yep. who was who's the quarterback for uh, the Patriots? Uh, Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Yeah, he was in Ted Two. And he actually That's was right. like yeah. played himself in Ted Two. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> it's the best movie. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to our films then. So our main topic this week is the live action remake. Uh, we'll likely cover this topic a couple of times. I think. I think. 
at some point we're, we're going to talk about the Jungle Book uh, and the different ways that these movies got made, especially the Jungle Jungle Book because the original animation was all hand drawn. You know, it was fifties, uh, uh, right when that came out. Yeah, that sounds. It's, re- that it's really old, great. so it's a completely different style of animation than we see now, and even with Ghost in the Shell. Um, yeah, so the first film we'll be discussing is the original Ghost in the Shell, which was made in 1995. The Japanese voice actors are Atsuko Tanaka, Akio Atsuka, Koichi Yamadera, Yutaka Nakana, Nakano, Ta- Tamiyo Oki, and Tisho Genda. I know. It's all Japanese. I, I specifically chose a Japanese name, too, because, like, it's a Japanese movie. Like, it was, you know, made in Japan. So, uh, it was directed by Mamaru Oshii. Cinematography was by Hisao Shira- Shirai, I think. Shirai is how you pronounce that. It was edited by Shuichi Kakesu, and music was by Kenji Kawaii. Uh, production design was done by Takashi Watabi, and art direction was by Hiromasa Ogura. Uh, 1995 it was made for roughly 600 million yen, and when I did the conversion, it ended up being about 5.5 million in U.S. dollars, and that's in 1995. Uh, and then I converted it again. Uh, for inflation and in two, uh, 2017 that comes out to be about 8.7 million so uh, kind of a spendy little little movie for 1995 especially considering that producers didn't really believe a movie like that could work right uh, the, the film and used the director was like oh I'm sorry no, go ahead go ahead oh I was gonna say and the director was like known for not directing like big commercial thing. Like I think he said, like if this movie had an action film, it would or an action, a couple more action scenes, we would definitely make more money. But then he intentionally like didn't have more action yeah. scenes in it because it's pretty light on the action. Right, right, exactly. It's more of a. It tried to be more of like a philosophical sci-fi film than straight up action, even right. though like. When it does have action, though, it's definitely top-tier action. Right. Uh, the film used fairly new animation process called Digitally Generated Animation, or DGA for short. Uh, it combines traditional cell animation with CGI. And it was edited using Avid technology, which at the time really was kind is of the it, go-to isn't standard. is that Avid? Avid. Is it Avid? I think it's Avid. Okay, Avid technology, which mm-hmm. at the time was kind of the standard uh, for editing software, and like you know, still to a degree, it's still around for sure, and a lot of people still use it. But mm-hmm. Adobe's kind of taking over as the reigning champion right now. They just they're covering kind of every base in terms of filmmaking and audio editing, and I mean, they even have an animation program now, so they're really kind of just. I mean, then all, obviously all Photoshop. Illustrator, website design, brochures, like, they got it all covered. Oh, Lightroom. Lightroom, awesome, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. For photo uh, <laughs> correction. Uh, so, yeah, the film used a multitude of techniques to achieve uh, what essentially looks like a hand-drawn film, even though, you know, it kind of mixed 
this idea of like CGI and then try and then doing like their kind of cell animations, kind of the more traditional route. Um, and it's it actually because it combined these things, it actually kind of set. It was a novel. It was basically novel the way they they made the film. Uh, no other film had really been made like this one before it, which is why part of the reason why it's kind of developed its. its I guess you could call it cult status. I mean, it's not like it's the most popular anime out there, but it's definitely known by people who care about that, you know, filmmakers and people who like animation and anime and stuff. So that's definitely one of the reasons why it's a classic. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it. I think it's definitely a cult film. Maybe even, maybe even more of a cult. Like I, I don't know. Yeah, it's tough. Because I know it's... I think cult classic defines it pretty right. well. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. I mean... It's also like the intro to anime. You know what I mean? Like, if you want to get into anime, this is a good movie to, to start. I yeah, think. I think, like, Akira? I was going to say Akira, Akira and, and this one. Ghost in the Shell would be the top two, I think, Yeah. For sure. I mean, it's, it's definitely considered one of the greatest animes of all time. And it's what's interesting to me, too, is that... It only clocks in at about like seventy. Like the actual film running time is only like seventy-five minutes or something. Like it's it's a pretty short movie overall. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you didn't watch it, you're an asshole. <laughs> no reason to not watch it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a uh, it's interesting. Um, so I don't know. Like I tried to look into this, but my my knowledge of animation overall is pretty lacking and trying to learn more about it, especially as we do the podcast and stuff. Um, but do you like know any more specifics about how they went about at, uh, animating it? Or is, can you, Jacob or Byron, like any well, knowledge you have about animation? Used a lot of stuff in Hong Kong as a reference, like for the all the background stuff, because a lot of this movie is just like almost like establishing shots with really cool music you know what i mean like i would say i'm off the top of my head maybe like 20 minutes of it at least it gives is given to the movie for just looking at what the world is like and i know they used hong kong as a sort of reference point uh to kind of push the you know to kind of set up their shots and i i don't know if that means that they were literally like trait not like tracing it and or, or manipulating shots that they did um or if they were just using it as like a you know they had the picture up there and then they were uh recreating that image i'm not i'm not sure i imagine it was exactly. probably a i imagine it was probably a combo of the two because like you could use the city right have, have a picture of it and you could have a reference point and but then you could add to it as well because you definitely notice in the city shots that like the building there's it's so dense right so they had to have added extra buildings and skyscrapers into the city and then also the very last shot of the film shows kind of a hong kong style along the river and there's just like i mean for 95 too like there's more buildings than there are in in hong kong so i think it's just they took it as a reference and then amped it up yeah, it's like I'm not too familiar with like the actual like how they animated or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, from what I know, 
like, I guess basically from like what Jacob was saying is like to me when I watched it, the most impressive part to me that stood out was the fact that so much time was invested in just the 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 landscape and the the yeah. scenery and the mood, mm-hmm. which I was like, oh man, like it could eat. Like I would be perfectly fine if the film had even more of that. Like, I, I, I just love the mood stuff, and like, and that's one of the reasons why I love Blade Runner so much. And I and I felt that you know, I mean, I I really I doubt that they would ignore Blade Runner as a reference. Oh, you could you know. feel Blade Runner, <laughs> the influence of Blade Runner on this movie. Like, this movie was influenced by Blade Runner very very heavily, especially with the city design and the semi dystopian kind of city where everything is really condensed there's a lot of advertising just a mm. lot of in your face stuff and then you can notice the influence of this movie on the matrix right right definitely yeah, yeah definitely yes that's super interesting because especially when it comes to the advertising because like blade runner you know like when you watch blade runner there's like ads for um uh you know the companies that actually aren't you know don't, that don't exist anymore like right. uh Oh, what's that one? It's not. Um, oh gosh, it's not Nintendo, but it's uh, Atari. H, yeah, the Atari. That's it. Uh, um, that like you know that don't exist, but yet the idea of this like mass advertising is it's so true. Like now in 2017, you know, right. like you go to Times Square and you see it. It's like oh, Times Square. You, you know what like, I mean? It's kind of like mm-hmm. wow, they got it right, and then. You know, Blade Runner, 1980s, and then, you know, 15 years later or so. Uh, well, even in the new Ghost in the Shell, like... Right, yeah. All, they did a ton of establishing wide shots, and not even establishing, mm-hmm. just wide shots of the city, and it, advertising everywhere. Yeah, you know, yeah. The, the big holograms and stuff oh, like man. that, you know, so... That's gonna happen. They had, like, I, big t- people walking around. Like, there was, like, people being projected, you know, like, 3D projecting... Exactly. So there's like giant people next to all these buildings. It's kind of, kind of, kind of neat. Yeah, it's. I don't know. It's interesting to see like how one film maybe took like a, an idea and then another and did it, and then another film took like a kernel of that and like either like expanded it or you know twisted it and made it their own, and then and then you know from live action from you know Blade Runner to animation to Matrix, and then. To, or uh, animation to like, Ghost in the Shell, and then to like you know kind of CGI stuff for the Matrix, and mm-hmm. then to Ghost in the Shell, which is like uh, the remake, the the new one, um, to like a hybrid of the two of live action and CGI, and and you know uh, uh, pro- like you know miniatures and stuff like that. It's kind of cool. Like it's kind of I don't know. It's kind of neat. <laughs> I'm actually impressed by how much. Uh, we could talk about this a little bit later when we talk about the film specifically too but how much um, practical stuff is in the new Ghost in the Shell I was doing the research for it and stuff like like the geishas and stuff like a lot of uh, essentially a Mm -hmm. lot of what is what you could consider props or costumes was mostly practical yeah which is interesting Mm -hmm. and it kind of I guess it did help a little bit I don't know, to me it was seemed very still very CGI because it was but it, it definitely helps sell a certain realism of it I think the geishas were actually it's to trip that those are uh, practical not actual robots but people put in costumes for yeah, those so cool yeah it was cool uh, what a workshop man like there 
they seriously, I don't know, they always outdo themselves. Like, to me, honestly, like, as a, as an overall film, I think the effects of the new one might be the best, like, fully realized CGI slash, uh, uh, in-camera, you know, effects um, combination that I've seen in a long time. <laughs> well, I don't know. Jacob, what do you think? Because I haven't watched a lot of those movies. Like, I just don't generally, so... I, I think it's... Uh, I thought it was better than average. Um, you know, because, you know, you have movies like Gods of Egypt, and you're just like, uh, this is... <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, like, the new... Independence Day, uh, I think it's called Independence Day Resurgence, Resurgence, uh, which is, you know, that there's a fight scene with the giant alien right at the end. Spoilers, by the way, um, and they kill it, and it's this. The whole thing is CG, and it's like, just like the all like everything. You know what I mean? Like it's like the desert is CG. The all the planes are so it's, and you can you can just tell when. You know, like when someone dies, if they die as a CG character, because that happens in that movie, you can just, we can tell. You know what I mean? There, It's like, it, there's something kind of uncanny about it, you know? Like, you, you just know the difference. But this movie, it seemed like they were really trying to um, use practical effects and stuff, but they, they were using CG to kind of, like, add to the scene. You know what I mean? Like, to get the jittery effects and the invisibility type stuff which I kind of like that like I like it when CG manipulates the image instead of adding on top of the image you know what I mean and if it's adding stuff in like the background I think that's okay for me like my personal taste but to me this visual effects was some of the the best that I've seen Uh, I'm gonna look up another movie that is very similar with how they accomplish visual effects but that's my thoughts on the matter for right now I mean in general, like, you know, I don't watch a lot of these types of movies, but, like, if you're going to use CG, I mean, how else are you supposed to create a city like that? You're going to have to you, computer generate it, obviously. So that's fine, you know, like, it, or, or you could create a model of it, I suppose, and shoot it like that. But at a certain point, you're going to have a model of it, and then you're going to either use some form of, you know, compositing like the way the Lord of the Rings did it was they had Minas Tirith was a a model fairly big model and they shot that as the plate or the background shot and then they shot uh, the shot I'm thinking of is when Gandalf comes up over the hill and you can see uh, the Minas Tirith in the background and they shot him coming over the hill and then they just composited it over the shot of Minas Tirith so it's still you know it's mostly in camera and more practical but it's still something that had to go through the the uh, process and to be composited the the digital process essentially um so like in that sense like it's okay i think to have cg like that because it's the only way you can really do it you know it's when you start doing too many cg people and see just the weird i think the one of the biggest culprits to this is uh i think it's matrix reloaded in the park scene when he fights a billion smith yeah and it becomes like this really cheese ball, like you know, you can. It's no, they didn't even try to not make it anim- like it's straight up animated, you know, like. Yeah. And it's just the way he moves is just uncanny, and it's just ridiculous. And it, you can- <laughs> I, I, I didn't mind that because it felt like they were trying to push something new with that scene. You know what I mean? Like it felt like they were 
trying to like you know make it you know like hey guys look at this technology let's uh let's start using this stuff because it's pretty rad you know what i mean like yeah. I don't mind when people try shit like that but i mean it came out it, you're right it doesn't it, it looks totally fake you know what i mean does. like it doesn't look real and it takes you right out of the movie but but it did you know kind of it is kind of like the earlier stages of digital too like if that movie was remade today obviously it wouldn't look so cheesy but to kind of use my own argument like how is he supposed to do that scene i guess besides that the, right. the, to the extreme level that they wanted to do it like i suppose you could have had him jumping around but it just it would have been different you know they wanted him to be superhero and be a superman and really just knock everyone out of the park so I, so I don't know. so the movie i was trying to figure out is the the remake of dread did you guys watch that it's oh love it oh, i never love i never saw that all the so uh, oh, really? slow-mo like when they're on drugs in that movie all that slow-mo shit is awesome like that the, slow-mo the visual the, effects of it how they did those cool. is really interesting because they shot them on i think the phantom cameras to get like the 120,000 frames a second or some yeah, shit it's like stupid slow yeah yeah there was a very specific process i remember watching like a behind the scenes thing and there's a really specific kind of almost novel process they went through to get those shots because like yeah they do this it, what do they, they call it slow-mo i think is what the drug is called and uh, it's literally just that you take the drug and then you experience the world in slow motion, and it's like it's like an acid trip where it's all like really vibrant colors and things are shimmering and like all this shit. And like what they'll do as a to- uh, a form of torture in that movie is they'll give you the slow mo and then they'll throw you off a building, so you have to experience the slow motion falling all the way to the ground. Oh, that's awesome! I should check this film out. Dude, Dread is pretty so good. Up. So yeah, good. if you want to see just the scene it's on youtube just look up all the slow-mo scenes in dread and you can see like how they kind of make it really stylized and i think that's kind of the key to why the visual effects look good um and i'm not just talking about the slow-mo i'm talking about like all the particle effects that they add and the and the smoke and stuff like it all is and that they add like this blooming uh thing to like the highlights to you know give it all this glow and uh you know, just just the style of it just kind of kind of works, uh, right? And it's also a sequence where you're on drugs, so like it's okay. It's it makes sense to CG it because it's something that's extrasensory anyway. You know, like right. if you just it, like in the new like Star Wars films where you CG a person, you can automatically tell when it's a, a person is not there. We we know as humans, we're really good at picking up on that shit. So that's, to that's do funny that because my parents and like half of my family did not know that they cg'd uh that actor what really blanking on his name but they they had no idea and i was like wait you didn't see that like you didn't see who was cg they did hide him in shadow so like i you know like that's kind of how they get away with it and fast and the furious did that too where the last shot sequence or whatever of the furious seven or whatever they cgi'd paul walker and you can tell. I mean, if you really are just... If you get a long shot and you can just stare at it, you can tell. Like, right. we're really good at picking up on that stuff. So, But it can dread... Yeah, it's a sequence where they're supposed to be high. It's supposed to be extrasensory. It's supposed to be pushed up in, in its realism. You know, it's supposed to be amplified. So, like, in that sense, it makes sense to CG. But, like, the rest of that film is all practical, as far as I know. Like, Yeah. 
I can't because he doesn't do anything extreme. It's just a, it's a lot of gun kata stuff. So like just shooting, shoot him up mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, that film that film movie's awesome for like just a straight up action popcorn movie. That movie's pretty fucking awesome. Damn, yeah, I'm, I'm watching that, this yeah, check scene that out. right now where like it's a slow mo shootout scene and like. I totally forgot that this was in the movie, but they're, like, shooting a bullet, and the bullet slowly... Like, the whole scene's in bullet time, right? So it's all slowly, like, moving, and it, like, will penetrate someone's cheek and, like, yep. come out their other cheek, and their whole cheek just, like, explodes. Mm. It's pretty oh, gross, that's awesome. but it's kind of cool that's looking, awesome. too. I think, if I remember correctly, to get that shot, um, I think they had to blast the actor with air to get his face to, like, move. Because then, oh, they, then you go cool. but you go back in and then you put the bullet in or whatever later. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure. So they recorded him at like 120,000 frames a second, blasted him with fucking air <laughs> to get the like skin to to jiggle and make that the warping yeah. that happens. Yeah, you know? like see, that's, all sorts that's of where shit. the best visual effects are is is when they do things to like their actors on set and then they add in the effect. You know that's what I mean? A, yeah. If you try and like manipulate the actor or the body, it never looks good. But if you can like find a way you know to do the effect to everything on screen and then just add in the bullet or add in anything like that just it always looks better it's all about getting the best plate for your composite like is if you can do 90 percent of your shot in camera it's going to look better than you know 80 percent 70 percent 60 percent whatever go down the list but it's the most you can do the more you can do in your camera the better and that's why 2001 is so special because like everything was in camera like everything even the ships flying through space was all in camera you know yeah it still holds up because it's just like like it, it's there you star know? wars it's, too yeah. and same mean, with blade runner yeah like, blade runner like right. it's like mm-hmm. damn you know <laughs> that's the and lord of the rings too you know like the like star wars made in the 70s and yet it still holds up in terms of its effects because they used models. Yeah. You know, and it's real, essentially. There's actually, like, there's a part of me that really prefers, like, the, ter- you know, like the term bigatures and stuff, where they use big miniatures or whatever and then composite it. Like, I mean, like, for me, Lord of the Rings and then when I watched The Hobbit, I mean, yeah, they. Like there, there's a difference, you know. When yeah, when I see the new Rivendell in the Hobbit series versus the Rivendell that I saw in Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. there's a part of me that actually prefers the Rivendell in Lord of the Rings, and I don't know if it's because I was used to that and that's what I saw first. But there's a part of me that I my I, I I'm pretty sure it's like my eye and my brain can, it, it, you know, I realize that that's a real thing that the camera is actually you know is shot on film at least lord of the rings you know um and, it, and it's the light is hitting the model and the model is you know the, the it's it's on film it's it's actually being picked exactly. up you know you um, know that it's you mm-hmm. know that it's real humans we can pick up on that stuff you know and the, the only times we really can't pick up on one stuff is like cg is like wolf of wall street where they essentially used it to like fudge with real so they shot like helicopter shots and then they would maybe add a building here and take a will take away right. a building there you know like yeah that's when you because you don't necessarily know the landscape so you, you're not going to know what's there and what's not so our minds either we don't care or we don't pick up on it that's fine mm-hmm. but like yeah i mean even it, it when it it doesn't take very much cg to realize yeah. that it is cg you know and a lot of that stuff in wolf of wall street is in the background so you're not looking at it exactly you know what i mean yeah like exactly. movies like nightcrawler that that have 
CG in them, and no no one really knows that. You know what I mean? Because it's right. all done in the background. You know, oh, there's man. you know the shot of his Mustang is CG, and I it's hard to tell, but I I feel like you know I think most people know that it is CG in there. But like they even like went through and like gave him a ponytail in scenes, and like why would you you know what I mean? Like they shot it with a different hairstyle and then gave him a different hairstyle you know after they finished the movie oh i didn't so know that. like tiny things like that i it's not for every scene they change his hair but you know right a, a few scenes maybe there was a mix-up you know maybe he got out of the car and had a different hairstyle so they had to change it you know what i mean but but things like that i mean that's that's where the true magic of visual effects are you know it's things that are under your eyes and, and hidden um people people rag on cg all the time and makes sense i get it like it's it kind of takes you out of the movie but without cg like <laughs> i think movies would be a lot worse even non-cg movies as as you would call them right for sure i totally agree like i think for me like the, the best use of it for me are like those like you know the buildings and stuff in the background however because those have gotten so well Mastered, like the, you know, the artists can do that so well now that now we can get you know Star Wars Rogue One and have those beautiful you know shots of the planets and, yeah. and stuff that, that 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 look real. That like, I mean, like my brain knows that they're CGI because like obviously there's not a planet like that, right. at least that right. you know. But like, but they look real. Like it's like damn, you know, they, they did a super good job, or you know, like stuff like that. So it's like pushing, you know. The little things actually push things that might look corny at first, but then become better and better and better and better. You know what I mean? Like it, it's really like I don't know. Ninety nine percent of the time, practical stuff, in camera stuff. Maybe not ninety nine percent. Maybe ninety five percent is gonna be better. It's gonna age better. It's generally going to look better. I mean, you can really fuck up practical effects, obviously, and have it look really cheesy. Uh, We'll be talking about Blood Feast at some point, and the effects in that movie are awful, like totally awful. Um, Even Texas Chainsaw Massacre has issues. In one shot, you can see the straw on the back of the knife that that pours the blood out. Like You can can have bad practical effects, right? (laughs) But generally speaking, it's going to look better than... The major, the vast majority of CGI, and then you can tell that that that's the case too, because especially with Star Wars, and they have a, a infinite amount of money for those movies, but they're pushing towards practical stuff again because it's going to help it age better, and it's just going to look better to people when they're watching it. You know, I mean, it's, say what you want about Michael Bay. He does a lot of stuff practically. It tends to look better. I mean, obviously, you can't do practical fucking 300-foot robot, but, you know, <laughs> that's where the CGI comes in. But he does right. a lot of real explosions. They drop a lot of real cars. There's a lot of real people around. And it just helps it look better. I mean, it, it really does. That's yeah. why I actually, like, I, I mean, like, yeah, Michael Bay gets a lot of hate, but, like, I actually enjoy his films. The films that I watch, you know. Dude, me like, too. They're, like, it's. Be- I mean, the, I have to respect the spectacle that he brings because, again, like people hate on Michael Bay, but the stuff that he did, you know, in Bad Boys and stuff like that, mm-hmm. has now been copied, and without it, the action scene that we know that and we love in in films of you know even Kill Bill, 
have been influenced by Michael Bay, whether people realize it or not. You know, in the sense of like just on how how epic the you know the you know shots were done with you know techno cranes on cars and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, like it's all Michael like Bay parallax. really started a lot of that stuff. Well, you know? yeah, I mean, just look at uh, Power Rangers. Power Rangers has been essentially called a Transformers clone. <laughs> you know, so like it, it's there's no doubting his overall the, influence. The new Power Rangers, yeah. Oh. has been essentially compared I mean the first comparison especially with the Mechazords and stuff like it's going to be compared to Transformers automatically did, but did you guys watch that movie? No. I, no I I've been reading a lot about it though. Did he produce okay, it? Yeah. Michael Bay did he produce it? I don't that? think so. Oh, okay. I don't think he was a part of it. But essentially it's like the way it plays out is kind of like how Transformers plays out, you know. So like it's and then Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you know, he he has a hand in that. So like yeah, there's no Doubting the pre and post Michael Bay effect on cinema, you know, whatever whatever your opinion is of him, yeah, good or good or positive uh, yeah. effect for sure. Yeah, but essentially, what I'm saying though is that his films age better because of the things that are done in camera. Oh yeah, for you know? sure, sure. And that's why I think like you know today we're kind of especially with the new ghost in the show we're kind of trying to bridge this gap between like real life animation you know and 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 kind of combining the two but i really think that they kind of have their place you know like animation has its place and it will never go away it'll always be a thing and there's just films that make more sense animated there's different things you can do in animation that kind of lets you get away with certain things and it's just got its own art style in and of itself, you know? Like, there's always going to be people who draw, so I can't imagine any <laughs> yeah. form of animation really going all away all ever. All fucking people keep drawing. <laughs> all this Stop drawing art. so we that can make our real class, movies. <laughs> Stop weird kid drawing. in class who sat in the corner and just drew and then eventually became, like, a graphic novelist, yeah. Right. No, I'm not, I don't want to make fun of that guy, but... Uh, <laughs> no, I definitely... And that's why, like, you know... It's interesting to talk about animated movies because even as much as you might think of them as cartoons, you know, they're they're really mature. And I would say this is one, obviously this movie is one of those very, very mature style and thought-provoking, you know, animated movie. Um, I mean, it starts with a nudie woman, you know what I mean? So Essentially, yeah. It's kind of like, hey, here's the movie you're watching, you know, so it, it, you know, goodbye Zootopia, you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's actually funny though because it, it, uh, speaking of the nude woman, I watched uh, inadvertently watched Sausage Party uh, over the weekend, yeah. and that's animated film that tries to make it's the most adult animated film that was like ever made or whatever. You, you like know, that uh, final scene, <laughs> the final the, the orgy in the grocery the store, the giant orgy, the whole like completely like everyone all of a sudden just turns by and fucks everyone <laughs> yeah. else, like, right? Yeah, that was yeah hilarious. You, the hot so dog like, goes through the donut, <laughs> goes through the bag, yeah, the sandwich. Through I love it when it goes through bag. all four. Yeah, that's fucking <laughs> hilarious. There's like so, yeah, that that last bit. Like, I wonder how long they actually took to animate all that. Like, just like the hours spent on all those quick cuts of just the, you know, right. The, oh yeah, just I don't know. I thought that was hilarious. I was like, <laughs> that was one of the. I wasn't expecting that part, right? You know, when oh, I was clearly. watching, I actually saw that with a friend in theaters, and like. I mean, we were crying. Like, I don't know if I've ever, like, cried from laughter ever in a film. At least definitely in the theater. Like, 
I it was I don't know the Slayers. <laughs> no, I definitely thought the movie was funny, and we could talk about it a little bit later too, and like what we watched section. But it was, it's, I don't know. It's it's not it's not any movie that tries to be anything that it's not. It's, it's a fucking raunchy pun movie, you know, like is mm-hmm. what it is. Yeah, that's that's it. So if you if you watch it with that in mind, you know, it, whatever. It's like a movie you kind of throw on with people. Because you want something on the background, right, or right. if you want to just watch like a shitty popcorn movie yeah. or something, you know, right? That type of thing. Uh, one thing I did want to talk about, though, because uh, the movie itself, Ghost in the Shell, the animated one, is pretty static. I would say, like, a lot of the shots are fairly static. I mean, there's car chase, and they want to chase the trash truck, and when. Um, like later on when she fights the tank like it's still it's very lively but I think a lot of it like you guys are saying there was a lot of city shots you don't necessarily have to animate a city shot you draw it you kind of pan over it you know if it was a literal in camera or if, in, that type of thing right um, so to kind of get away with doing a lot of what they did the sound was something I really noticed in that movie and I kind of just wanted to open it up to you guys too and talk about like the importance of sound because like sound in general in movies gets overlooked just how much extra crap that doesn't exist in the real world gets packed into a movie mm-hmm. because like just for some reason we expect it like uh, I can't think of a, a great example off the top of my head but there's just there's just things that you expect in a movie like oh for example footsteps I guess would be one where like you know people have footsteps but generally when you're recording a movie you're not picking up those footsteps so you have to go back and do the foley to put those footsteps back in right. and whatnot right. um, so like it, it's a art piece part of the art process of film that gets overlooked a lot and this film I thought had some interesting sound that kind of elevated it past just being cheese, you know? Like, I think that's where... And then, like, even the music, too, like, that that kind of... I don't know, it wasn't kids chanting, but that kind of high pitch... I, I don't even know, know how to describe it. I don't, yeah, chanting, I don't... But, I know what yeah. it is. I don't know what to call it, though. Like, of, uh, yeah, like, children, almost, like, but ancient, you yeah. know? Like, I don't... Yeah, it's really cool. This like, a, in a chamber... Yeah. yeah. Huge chamber or something. Yeah, exactly. And, like, you know, the gun sounds are, like, really heavy. And I I almost feel like the sounds, like, how many bullets were hitting things was matched perfectly with the sound. Like, if 20 bullets hit the wall, it almost sounded like 20 different bullets hitting the wall, you know. And, like, the gun's cocking. And then the sound, when he pops the, like, submachine gun out of the briefcase and just the kind of clicks that you get in that and you know when you're when uh, I also noticed like when she's doing the dive in the uh, puppet master whatever android or whatever like when it cuts to her point of view looking out from the android it kind of alters the way the voices sound a little bit you know like there's all these little things I think that I don't know I just really I noticed that in animation a lot because animation, like, you kind of have a little more freedom with the sounds you can do almost because it is animation, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, 
I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts on the sound of the movie at all? Um, yeah, I mean, like, I would be in complete agreement with you, like, for sure. I mean, I think, I don't know, it's interesting because, like, when I watch the film, like, um, the animation, what I love about it is that it's really detailed, and it doesn't look like a lot of the stuff that you see now on, like, anime shows and stuff. It, it's more detailed. It does look... I mean, I know that a lot of it was hand-drawn, hand but I know also that it had the, like you were talking mix, earlier, yeah. about the, the, you know, the combination and stuff. Um, but I think between the two, they went above and beyond with the detail of what we saw visually. However, there's, like you said, there's no escaping the fact that we know that that's animated. And there's, like, a, a certain nostalgia and, and, and stuff that our brains, you know, forgive and like about animation mm -hmm. that I don't think is going away anytime soon, like you said. But when you combine it with good sound, it's it's almost like your your brain is tricked into into really believing what you're seeing, which is you know a detailed animated image, but with sound, mm -hmm. it's like you, you, your brain like forgives. I don't I don't I don't know how to explain I mean, it. Sound it like no, sucks it, you in. I would say it helps forgive and like it helps you become more immersed in it because like you said like when you're watching animation you're you're way more removed from it than if you're watching a real person you can't relate to it directly if you're just visually seeing it but the sound is what pulls you into the world and makes it I mean even in a live action movie the sound if, if you're in a city they always add in the honking, the cars going back and forth, okay. the people talking, the people walking. There's a whole lot of extrasensory sound that they add just to get you into the scene. It, and it's funny because, like, for me, like, in my like in my personal life, right, like, when I smell something or I hear something, that's what, for me, evokes memory. Mm -hmm. Like, I can see yeah. a mailbox. I've seen thousands of mailboxes, but I'm not going to get, like, a memory exactly. of a particular, you know, scene or whatever. But if I hear a particular sound or smell a particular, you know, um, food or something, all those memories come flooding back that necessarily aren't related to what I'm smelling. Right. But the, whatever happened at that particular time, and it's, like, it's almost the same thing with film. It's, like, I can hear you know like sirens or something that's happening in the in the film right. and i automatically like it, it just triggers all those things in my brain whether it's memories or whatever that just immediately like oh i know what that is and then i just i just buy it you know i don't Definitely. know it's, it's, well, it's weird it's because with sound it forces your imagination to work whereas with the visual we've done the work for you to put it on screen and you you see it as is but sound is like something that's more in, it's almost more intimate like you said like it triggers memories so it forces your brain to work all the time whether or not it's mm -hmm. attached to a visual or not it's still something that is more intimate for your brain and stuff and, I, and that to me is why I think personally that the most important part of a movie is the music because I mean even look at silent films you they did. They didn't. I'm sure at some point they tried showing a, a silent film without any music, and were like, "This doesn't work." A bunch of people right. sitting in a, a place that's dead silent and just watching something doesn't work. So then you had to have accompanying music, and that is what really helps you get through watching something for any extended period of time. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, like Star Wars, for for another example, the opening credit sequence when that score hits, like you know, it's Star Wars. You know, it's it's that's it. Jaws. I mean, any Spielberg film, basically. Right, right. I mean, yeah, John Williams. Yeah, like you know that that's what it is, and you will forever attach that sound to that movie. Yep. Even if you don't even remember any specifics about the of the visuals of the movie, like I mean, what color was Luke's? What color was Luke's first costume that he was wearing in the movie? You know what I mean? Like white, beige. Yeah, off white type of yeah. Which, I mean, okay, I mean, but ah, we win. <laughs> okay, maybe that wasn't the best example, but you know what I'm saying. Like, okay, well, what color was what color was the uh, uh, the closest ant was wearing? Like a brown. It was like dark a, or something. Like, like dirty, but you don't know. Right, like, right. You couldn't color. tell me exactly, or you couldn't tell me what was her hairstyle. Dirty like Jacob's mind. <laughs> Maybe the hairstyle. Jacob's hair, <laughs> mind. Hairstyle is a little more too. obvious, but like, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what. Pick a detail about a visual detail in a movie, and generally, chances are that you you probably won't know it. Right. 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 You know, like how how many stars are in the first shot of Star Wars when the credits roll? How many stars are three thousand seven hundred eighty-two? See, yeah, Keith, you're just wrong. You're wrong. Uh, we didn't remember other things. I know you guys are just too good. This is why we're doing this because you guys are the film pros. No, I'm kidding. You'll get there, man. You'll get there. Just start counting stuff. Count bullets. You know, just start counting. I've counted every star in every Star Wars film, so no, it's kidding. <laughs> Should be called Stars Wars. But honestly, like. I it wouldn't surprise me if somebody's done that. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> right. no, yeah, that you're right. That wouldn't surprise. That wouldn't surprise me either. I mean, um, what color shirt was Jacob wearing last week when we did the podcast? Yeah, I have no idea. You know, exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, but we can remember what we talked about. You know, I think that's. I think that's just because I'm boring, though. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good thing to say to people to get them yeah. sucked in into listening. Well, they don't have yeah. to look at me, so I could do this thing for now for now <laughs> yeah well, until we start doing the live streaming yeah yeah that'll I'm, I'm not changing my ways if we do that so. pretty soon it's gonna be like Howard Stern you know we'll have our own studio and <laughs> <laughs> we'll have the guests come in and get naked for us <laughs> Jacob Everyone will be in his underwear in the corner <laughs> I'll have a underwear like hanger you know what I mean like a coat hang- rack you know what I mean it'll be like you that just before, change like, your underwear stuff yeah it'll be great Oh, um, what one thing I wanted to say about the sound of this, um, I got a little distracted, but the, um, the, the, the one sound that I think most people when watching this movie can tell the difference and it, it feels very on top is the like augmented voices. So like when they are communicating like through the internet, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, like through each other instead of talking in person. Um, and you know, that's kind of like, What's so cool about sound is as soon as you can see that their lips are not moving and you hear that sound coming from them, you're like, okay, I know exactly what this is. You know what I mean? As soon as you see that image and match it with the fact that their voice or their lips aren't moving, it, and I feel like you have to hear their voice first in order for it to work. Um, but the second you see that see that and hear that it just like snaps you in so any moment after that you can use that and you know whether they're actually talking or not you know what i mean definitely. And there's just yeah, something definitely. so magical about that being in storytelling and they they do that in the new one too and i feel like they utilize it 
more in the new one. Like there's scenes where like she like has to talk telepathically instead of talking in person. You know what I mean? Where it's like very important that she only talks telepathically. Um, but you know, I, that's the that's the beauty of sound is is being able to just put a tiny little effect on there, bloop, and then have something that is a huge like story element uh, in the movie. It's great. It's also a trip, like how what we attribute sounds, like how we attribute sounds, and what we think of what sounds are. Like the whole art of Foley is using things that are not what you would think make a sound to make a sound. Like the easy go to is like broken bones, like snapping of vegetables of certain vegetables, or like smashing yeah, carrots, up. broccoli, exactly celery. something hard, celery, yeah, or smashing watermelons to get that squishy sound of someone's head being burst open. Or yeah, like, grapefruit. Yeah, a lot of the melons and stuff, right, to get that, Do like, people sound. use grapefruits? Is that, is that what you use? That's what, I, I actually used that once. I, Whoa. like, for the last film, The Sense of the Kill, when he's, like, when Anthony's character is, like, pushing that metal stick into the chick's head, I used right. grapefruit squish thing. I just, Whoa. I just found the, the sound online, and yeah. I just, put it in there <laughs> oh that's cool there's all sorts of weird things i mean barbarian sound studio is a really interesting movie because oh, it's all that about movie. that it's about a guy uh who's a sound engineer and there's a lot of sequences where they do the foley work for it like you know the, and then you'll they'll do things like to match the sounds that are the sounds like water like slush mm-hmm. water slushing around and, and stuff like that so like it's it's when we just hear it and then we match it with the visuals. That's where we kind of get the association. But like, it's interesting the things that we would never even consider making certain type of sound make that sound, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's another part of the magic of it, I think. And why sound is so. In in all reality, sound is more important than the visual. Like you can watch a shitty looking movie, but you will not <laughs> listen to bad sound. Right? right. No, for sure, definitely, and like. Even the local f- film festivals that, you know, happen around here, like, like if there's a movie that looks really good, but yeah, like you said, the sound is, like, really bad, it's like, you are completely taken out of the story, yeah, really, and you're just like, yeah. wow, this is crappily done, even though, like, the editing and the acting and the and the cinematography could be really well done, it's like, you cannot forgive the sound. <laughs> no, totally. And it's, like, think about a jump scare. It's not the visual of someone, something popping out. It's the lead-up of the music and the tension, and then the, mm-hmm. the kind of boom or, like, whatever sound happens that's loud that makes you jump. It's, right. It's the sound that makes you jump, right. you know? And, like, trash jumpers, like, you know? Yeah, like, like trash jumpers. <laughs> it's true. It's like, sound yeah. in, in uh, horror movies especially is... I, I would say I, I think that is the genre where I think it's most important in horror movies definitely uh, and I, I think you're right I think it's that build up and I think it's you know the sound even if it's like a slasher movie like the sound of the cuts is is more terrifying than seeing a cut in my opinion you know what I mean? Uh, well, I like mean, how they cut Psycho together, I was gonna say you know, Psycho. which is kind of the classic like editing thing. It's the screams. It's the sound of the knife. You know, the knife never actually penetrates the skin, which I believe we talk about every other yeah. episode. <laughs> uh, but we're gonna do. We're gonna keep doing it because it's awesome. Um, but you know, it's it's just so cool that like something like sound can can really immerse you. And I, 
young filmmakers like us because i've seen all of our movies or most of i've seen all mine obviously and i've seen <laughs> i'm pretty sure i've seen all of your guys's movies uh but we're all guilty of this but sometimes the sound man it's just it's just not you know it's it's just a disappointment and well every first time filmmaker wants cool visuals they want the camera yeah no one thinks about it that's one thing like to anyone listening who's like wants to make film or have any foray into filmmaking like the camera is not important it doesn't matter what camera you shoot on i mean it does obviously (laughs) but i mean but what essentially what i'm saying when i say that is that don't worry about what you're shooting on worry about how it's going to sound because it, it it will kill your movie and it yep. it's the difference between any high high quality film and a student film or even some low budget feature film generally is the sound you know. Yeah. I mean, cause, you know, you look at TV shows and the pilot episodes, right? Like Arrested Development and stuff and Kirby Enthusiasm. Like the cameras that they used for the first season, even first two seasons sometimes, are so crappy. It's always it, sunny it, in Philadelphia. Like, yeah. Like shit for exactly. A long time. And it's just like, <laughs> it's like visually it sucks. But what keeps you watching is the comedy mm-hmm. and the fact that it sounds okay. Because if it right. sounded like shit. Yeah then you wouldn't be interested in, like, listening to the jokes, you know? Um, right. So, and, 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 I, and I also, I'm guessing those studios, you know, they save money that way, you know? <laughs> but, but like, yeah, definitely. We just have a really insane expectation for sound in movies. Like I said, there's, there's a whole slew of sounds that just don't generally exist in real life, but that we expect to have happen right. in movies. You know, movies have kind of amplified it. Uh, a lot, you know, squ- squealing tires is a big one that's added. Uh, mm-hmm. Which the, the Wilhelm Wilhelm the, scream, oh, yeah. I think, which yeah, is yeah. in like every movie. You know, like you haven't. I don't think if you're a filmmaker and you haven't used that once, at uh, you're a failure. Please don't use that. Actually, I haven't used it, but please don't but use it. Failure, <laughs> but I love, but I love the sound though. I love the sound. But it's one of those sounds that's so. It's like talk about something that pulls you out of the movie. When you hear a Wilhelm scream, it's like really, right. dude. You really. Oh, yeah, I get excited when I when I hear it. Like when I find oh, it, because sometimes you know, like when, when they, you hear it in Gladiator, you're like, there it is. Oh, There's this. There it is. On, well, it's funny because like they've used it in like The Dark Knight and stuff like that, but they've they've. They've hit it, hidden it really well that you almost can't. I, I don't know. I don't even know if I've actually heard it in the Dark Knight, but I, I believe the it's sound of it. But I believe it's in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. now I gotta watch it because I don't. I don't think I've heard it in that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's it's one of those movies. Um, uh, because I, I I googled you know Wilhelm scream or whatever, and it, it you know it shows all the movies that it's been in. Um, and I was like, oh no way, I didn't realize it was in that one or that one or that one. And normally I pick it up, you know, right away. Because <laughs> it's probably layered in there with yeah. other stuff. Uh, you know what you should do is when we bring up Wilhelm scream in in, in this podcast, you should play that. You should like put this sound in there so people know. <laughs> like, because what if? Because I I bet you like if people don't know what the Wilhelm scream is, I'm not saying hide it in there, Byron. Like the Dark Knight. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. Which you can no, do. I mean, no, I know. more power to you. No. But uh, what I'm saying okay. is like we should add that sound in so people can hear okay. the sound. How you know what I mean? Totally so, what I got. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna play the Wilhelm scream here in three, two, one. Oh, sorry. That was me, actually. That wasn't the... 
<laughs> no, but yeah, no. <laughs> so, we, so yeah, now you've False heard alarm. what the sound is. Honestly, you know, like, like every time we we could do it. Every time we cuss, we could just use that. Oh my God. Yeah, it's like a bleep. That would get so, so I've already cussed like twenty times in this pod, in this episode. Good. Oh get in there. So annoying. Make it work. Oh, no, it wouldn't work. Talk about sound that would drive you away. An annoying sound. <laughs> Just having it appear once is enough. I think it's it's ballsy sound design. We, we, we'll have some ballsy sound. It's, it's avant garde. Yeah, in the wrong direction. Yeah. It's avant-garde, yeah, exactly. <laughs> avant-garde is not always good. <laughs> yeah, uh, Maybe okay. we should have C- Curtis redo our s- score at the beginning, <laughs> yeah. the intro and outro, and like, put the Wilhelm to scream. To add in Wilhelm it's scream. Like a melodic yeah. Wilhelm scream, yeah. Anytime yeah. there's a big symbol, it'll just be the Wilhelm scream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Maybe you can auto-tune it to make Maybe it that'll be the, Right when the outro's done <laughs> playing, it? when the outro kind of fades out, you know, a couple seconds it'll be Wilhelm scream right at the end. Just yeah. to, <laughs> one last little taste. One last little taste. Oh god, that'll that's, that's what we come known for: the fucking Tarantino angel and the Wilhelm scream. <laughs> <laughs> Which that the, sounds like a good. movie. I'd watch that movie. Every every Tarantino movie though has the uh, Wilhelm scream in it though. Oh Jesus Christ! Yeah, he wow. loves yeah, it. See, he loves see, it. See Keith? Yeah, see. Yeah, you love Tarantino. Tarantino, so I believe it's you love that would the Wilhelm But screen. I believe it's every Tarantino and, and every Robert Rodriguez film. They go I out don't of their think way I've to heard to it in those, I think is why. So Nice. I'm going to find them and send it to you. <laughs> <laughs> do it. Do it. Oh, I'm going to try and ruin Tarantino for you, Keith. <laughs> it's pretty hard. <laughs> You're already trying with the angel thing. It's not really I know. Working. I'm going to keep digging. It'll work. Uh, I, 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 I mean, I do love Tarantino, though. That, clearly. It's really yeah. hard not to. I don't love angels, but I do love Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I just thought of this, actually. So a good example of why or, like, how much sound we as viewers need in a film is space scenes. Space scenes, I think, are the best example because in reality, there's no sound in space. But in, you know, 95% of sci-fi films or anything that takes place in space... Ships make sounds. The burners, make, afterburners, make sounds. Mm-hmm. If it flies by the camera, it makes that 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 I can't remember the term for it, but that sound when it, it gets closer, then it gets farther away. Um, planets moving make sounds. You know, it just if there's a rock asteroid floating in space, it makes sounds. Like right. so all this shit makes sounds, but in reality, there's no sound in space, and that's it's funny. That's, that- that's where movies like Gravity. Yeah. Are, the sound design of them is so good because I think gravity they, used sounds. They did. They it? used sounds, but they had they, they had this like muffly, like muted effect on there um, because you know when they're like drilling into stuff, they like the camera's like close enough, or if it's like touching something, it'll you'll hear like that design in there. But then the rest of it is like totally silent. You know what I mean? So it's like this weird mixture of. Of, I don't know. I just felt like they really nailed it with with gravity. Yeah, I was, that's funny because I was just going to bring up gravity because when I saw it premiere at Telluride, um, the, the the director Alfonso Coron and his son um, and uh, were, were there, and they they introduced the film and they talked about it afterwards, and and someone commented on the sound design, 
and they said that there is no sound in the film it's all score which is super interesting or like at that, least what does that mean like like that there's no like the, the sounds that you hear at least in the film aren't like actual asteroids like, like, like made them by instruments like they use instruments for or or some sort of electronic right you know like uh, but they're not or it's the score that kind of made it into the sound it's, it's right right it's just the score is like a substitute for what we're actually what we're actually seeing i'd hope so because they were shooting for realism for right. the movies so, so it makes sense so like the, I don't, the I don't only understand. i don't get it like, so like the so only pure sounds that okay so like when you're watching you know sandra bullock and, and george clooney like interacting and there's that asteroid scene right uh, right. And they're like all this, and the in they're hitting. It's hitting the the space station and stuff. Yeah. All that sound that we hear is not supposed to be the rocks actually hitting the station. The only it's all just it's all just uh, score. Like it's all. It's the score is timed to make it sound like it's the rocks hitting. Yeah. So it's not like it's not supposed to be the sound of actual like asteroids hitting this police station plastic or whatever it is. The only sounds that are supposed to be the sounds that we hear are through their little calm things, so their voices. Anything that's inside of their suits right. or inside of the station where there's oxygen, yeah, to allow for sound to travel through. And like that's at least that's what they said. And it's been a while since I've seen that film, but. I found that like very interesting, and they were, like you said, they were going for like super realism. So they Interstellar they did that, that right? Where I they, think so. I yeah. think it was all score in space. And two thousand one again is that was Kubrick's big thing. Is that anytime? That's why that scene uh, when the guy gets unhooked and he's floating, it's all just the breathing. Oh, so cool! Yeah, and then anything outside of the ships are like kind of the orchestral stuff and. The only time he, he does that cut back and forth where it's um, Dave is in the ship and you kind of hear his buttons, beep, 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 whatever, and then it cuts back out and it's just the breathing and it's like this back and forth. But, yeah, it's – in reality, there's no sound in space, but we like to hear sound. Right. You know, right. we even in space, we have an expectation that there is sound. And Sunshine did that where they use sound in space and – you know, it, it, it it's not bad that they do that, but it's it's not real, right? You know, so I think that's I think a, f- a fair example as to sa- or the importance of sound essentially over the visuals. I would say, like, yes, it just gets like Blade Runner. They use sound, but yet that's all in an atmosphere, so right. it's not like out in the you know right space exactly. and stuff. But yeah. it's still it's still there. I want to say I'm guessing Riddick probably used sound when they're. I guess they most of it was on the planet though too, so that would make sense. But yeah, anytime that they're actually outside of a planet, outside of atmosphere, technically there's not supposed to be sound. Uh, but but it, I need to rewatch Gravity then, because I could have sworn there was sound design with some sort of drilling at the beginning, but there wasn't a lot, you know. But I, maybe I should watch it again and listen because maybe I missed that there was a, that was actually like a an instrument of some kind. Yeah, or, I think like I think it was just so well done, you know. Like I yeah. think their goal was to to have it so that it was it what we're seeing and what we're hearing are two different things, but yet our mind, our you know, our brain doesn't register it that way, you know. Right. Like, and they if they really did do that, 
Um, it's been a while since I've seen that movie, but uh, it, you know, it's like, damn, they they succeeded. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, that, I mean, that blew my mind right now when I heard that. I was like, oh, I guess I, could, I guess I could see that or hear it. But like, if you watch the movie and then Alfonso Cuarón comes up and is like, I. I I'm not going to try to do an accent on <laughs> when I impersonate him, but, uh, you know, if he says, like, oh, there's no, uh, like, Foley sound design in here, like, the movie at all. And, ah, I can't I imagine lying mind. about that. Dude, like, I, this is crazy. So I actually saw the North American premiere of that film at Telluride. Um, so it had only premiered at, um, I think it, was it the opening film at Cannes? It was either Cannes or another big festival right before ours um or to tell you right anyway it was the north american premiere and the you know alfonso Cuarón and his son um jonas was were, were there but the cast of 12 years a slave showed up because you know 12 years a slave was kind of the big film so of the, of the festival Pitt. right so actually so uh, brad pitt showed up for the 12 years a slave showing but he didn't actually show up for the uh uh, gravity showing, but Michael Fassbender, Fassbender, Lupita, Lupita Nyong'o, uh, Shiwatali Jafor, and Steve McQueen, and the producer, um, I forget his name, and then the the lady that, that they help out on Plan B, I think, um, were there, and they watched it, and it was cool because it was at the um, the new Werner Herzog Theater, which is actually just an ice rink. Um, <laughs> I, I tell you right, um, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, it was shown there and it was in 3D which was crazy but I remember after it ended like just looking because they were in front of me you know like maybe six rows down um they had pretty good seats <laughs> of course um they uh I remember like they I could tell they were like whoa like no, that was impressive and I think it was mainly like the sound you know like yeah. because the sound I forget it it wasn't by Dolby at least the, the, the theater that it that we Full ice rink that we saw it in. It was like the best sound I've ever heard in a movie um, in my entire life was what they did in this ice rink. And it, they, all their money for Telluride, a lot of it goes to just the the transforming <laughs> gymnasiums and these old buildings that are in the town into these state of the art film theaters. Um, That's cool. So sick. Yeah, and it was just crazy. But yeah, like. Yeah, combining Telluride with with sound, like it was just it was just absolutely I couldn't believe how well they did that, um, and just how important sound was. And I could just I could tell, like, you know, from those guys' faces, you know, like, whoa, it wasn't the three D, you know. I think it was really the sound. <laughs> I mean, think about like your home, like a home theater system, like compare it to listening to sound through your TV and then listening to it to a five point one system. You know, it it it's mind-blowing the difference right you know? yeah. right and that's why theaters like you know you have a big screen but think about how many i mean it's like they're like at what like 11 speakers or something like theater sound is ridiculous you yeah. know it, there's so many speakers there's there's so much bass there's so much that goes around around you to try and envelop you in the movie because that is what envelops you in the movie yeah the right. sound of plus it. you gotta you know block out all the people munching on their popcorn you know what i mean so <laughs> blast that shit all those fatties oh man that actually <laughs> happened to me 
for Ghost in the Shell, the, the new one. I was, oh, really? Yeah, this guy in front of me was just chomping away on his popcorn. <laughs> it just pissed me off. Like, it's the worst. Like, he, like, during the trailers, I'm like, okay, okay, this is all right, this is all right. It's like, you know, because this is the trailers. Right. But then the movie started, and it's the opening sequence, and, you know, the cool music, and, the, you know, she's being made up. And then the guy is just, like, chomping away on his popcorn. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, this guy right. needs to seriously close his goddamn mouth. Like, yeah. it just like, really pissed me off. It's funny that you say that because, <laughs> indulging. because when I was, we were, one of my girlfriend, and we watched it, and we had got some seats that were kind of, like, up in the corner, kind of away. And then suddenly this group, I don't know, it was like a family of, like, five or six people. And... The, Almost each one of them was holding their own like gigantic thing of popcorn. So there were like six <laughs> popcorns, and dude, they were all eating that. it. And they sat right behind us. They're literally the row right behind uh, us. I'm like, oh my god, dude, really? Like, dude, oh I can't eat that god. much popcorn. Like, it makes me feel. Horrible. I don't like popcorn all that much, to be honest. <laughs> I like caramel corn and stuff, yeah. but I don't. I know Byron was probably sitting there with his ice cream. Well, what would you get? Like dibs? <laughs> you get dibs? Actually, dibs dude, I wish snack. dibs were still around. Dude, I hardly buy anything when I go to the theater except for the occasional drink. Yeah, but but I'll get but, a beer. If but I'm not going to theater. Right, right. But like yeah, normally, like uh, yeah, I normally don't. I just go out of my way not to because it just it's ridiculous how expensive it is. However, that's how you support theaters, though, man. Right, it's true. No, but if I go, like, if I go to the, if I go to the Pickford <laughs> Theater, like I'll always get a drink. You know. Okay, they make money off advertising, but like direct money, like okay, for Regal, AMC, the big chains. Okay, like they're gonna be there regardless. So whether you buy their, you know, eight dollar soda or whatever. But like you said, yeah, if you go to your local theater, yeah, you know, the the distributor takes more than half of the money, and then the theater's left generally with like a couple bucks from the ticket and it's the concessions are the only thing that after their cost of the concession itself is the only thing that directly goes to the theater so if you're trying to support your i mean that's the reason why they're so expensive you know like Mm -hmm. if you're trying to support your theater do it through buying the concessions you know and not not the not the branded ones like regal's been uh, carrying like cinnabon pre-wraps and like nacho pre-wraps and shit too so like that stuff that's another cut that that gets taken because of the Cinnabon stuff or not it's not a cut that's taken but they have to buy that product right so like right but if you try and buy like just the basics or whatever popcorn or whatever like you know that's that's kind of what directly supports the the theater for the most part so basically all I have to say is that okay people buy the shit out of your food and drinks but keep your goddamn mouth shut. Yeah, no, no, yeah. Don't chew with your mouth. Have a little bit of manners and shit, you know. No, I've been. We've been bringing in. Uh, <laughs> so they're they've been selling these little like, they're dollar packs, and it's a four pack of like, essentially what comes down to like, a shot or two of cider, honeybow cider, and it's like uh-huh. a, each each little can is a is a flavor, its own flavor. And you can just totally just toss it in your pocket and bring it in. So we've been bringing those into the theater. That's you know, cool. you get a little awesome. bit of alcohol to drink, just chill yeah. you out while you're watching the movie. <laughs> yeah, that's Dude, I always bring, like, a big-ass thing of water. And then if I want something, I'll always just bring it from home. You know what I mean? Like, right. I'm, not, I'm not paying for a, a huge – because you get the small soda because I don't want that much soda. You know what I mean? But you get a small soda, and that's too big. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't want this much. Like – I'll just bring the twenty-two cent can from home, and I mean, I get it. I, I, the cost, it, it, I get it. It's expensive. I'm just saying, like, 
for me, like, it's not so egregious because if you know how the 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 budgets break down and how the ticket sales break down and the money breaks right. down, then it it tends to make a little more sense, you know. Oh, getting spoiled over there. I know steak and broccoli. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so hungry right now too. I'm gonna be chewing with my mouth open. <laughs> Fucking fatty. The, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the um, s- one thing that I um, maybe you guys can clue me in on, but I heard that th- although th- theaters take like a a certain cut of the movie and then the rest goes to back to the studio, they still like over the course of like 12 weeks they it like increases so like maybe they take you know 25 percent for the opening weekend and then then they take like 30 and then 35 and then eventually you know until the movie leaves theaters but like each week it like slowly increases like how much they actually take it i heard that do you, you guys know if that's true or not gosh i'm not sure but i mean it wouldn't surprise me God, yeah that's a question i've actually i I've talked to multiple times on the phone and actually got to meet him uh, when I went to California last year. Um, he's His name is Mike Polidoros. He's the, uh, I don't know if it's executive vice president, but at least vice president of distribution at Lionsgate. Um, so, like, he's essentially, like, at the top level of their distribution, which is huge chunk of any movie production company because that's, where they get their money they're the money collectors they come knocking to make sure that you know they get their chunk of ticket sales but uh i should have asked them that because i actually didn't I, I didn't know that initially but that's interesting if that's something that they actually end up doing um if they do and i could see that kind of making some sense because as ticket sales dwindle you know they're not necessarily i mean they want a nickel and dime and everything they can get but mm-hmm. they kind of do want the upfront money right away to pay back the cost of making the movie so right yeah i could i could see that happening um are you downloading anything by chance uploading anything if i'm not but my computer might be doing its own thing oh okay i was just curious because we've kind of gone through like this wave of like good connection bad connection so must be all the porn you watch downloading all that porn porn streaming yeah, no, actually, not on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> That's on my mobile phone. Best place to watch it. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to risk my computer for that t- with that shit. <laughs> okay. Mr. Uh, Incognito over there. <laughs> well, we should... Uh, let's see. All right, let's move on to our second film. Oh, sweet. Can't wait. Oh, excellent. All right, so, Keith, you're going to have to cut this out, but I'm going to munch on my steak while you talk okay do you want me to turn my audio down or what's going on i'm super hungry i mean i, I don't know i can't hear you Sorry. it might show i don't do whatever because I, okay. I can't i can't hear you chewing but maybe it'll pick up be picked up by the mic so okay i'm just gonna go for it <laughs> okay all right let's talk about our second film uh, so our second film is Rupert Sanders' Ghost in the Shell that just came out this year. Uh, the film stars Scarlett Johansson, uh, Pilo Asbeck. I'm not exactly sure how to say his last name. Uh, he's the one who played Bato. Beat Takashi, who was a badass in this movie. Uh, Juliette Binoche, and, or Binoche, do you know? Is it Binoche? Uh, Binoche, yeah. Binoche. And Michael Pitt, which I saw his name on there, and then for some reason it like surprised me that he was in there. 
Michael Pitt. Well, it was funny because he actually credit was credited as Michael Carmen. That's right, he which was, is right? interesting because he's normally he just normally he's goes Michael by Pitt. Michael Pitt. Right. So I thought that was an interesting uh, thing, but maybe that ties in with identity, you know, with oh, the whole yeah. film. That's a good you point. Know, I don't know. I don't know. That's maybe probably a little <laughs> too uh, looking into it, but yeah. Uh, so I don't know if I've been adding this in other when I talk about other films, but. Uh, I'm starting to add it in now. Uh, so the film was actually written by Jamie Moss. So I don't know if I've been adding the writer credit in, but that's a pretty important credit to know. Uh, yeah, so it was written by Jamie Moss. It was shot by Jess Hall, edited by Billy Rich and Neil Smith. And the music was by Clint Mansell and Lorne Bale. So it's pretty awesome that Clint Mansell is a part of this. I didn't know. And it's actually, I kind of feel like the score was not as good as it could have been because I expected a lot more. Um, with him being involved, but I don't know, that's what it is. Uh, production design was by Jan Rolfs, and costume design was by Kurt and Bart, which, when I looked up that name on IMDb, Kurt and Bart, it was one person who called himself <laughs> Kurt and Bart, and I don't know if that's just because IMDb's can be edited by people or what but dude that's so funny <laughs> I don't know if that's if the guy's name, he actually goes by Kurt and Bart but um uh, the film was initially going to be produced by Disney. Actually, they had the rights to it, uh, but through a variety of issues, because the film has actually been in pre-production, kind of was in pre-production hell uh, for a while before it actually came out. Uh, so they had the rights to it, and they are planning to make it, and then Paramount had the distribution rights, but, you know, through the legal legality of rights and how they work and stuff like that, they, Disney eventually lost the rights because they didn't make the movie and so essentially the rights went to Paramount who ended up making the film and producing the film and then I'm guessing also distributed as well um, so it was made almost entirely on set with green and blue screens um, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff for this movie actually you can watch where uh, you can see the screens and then maybe a little bit later we can talk about the differences between green and blue screens and why you might use one over the other. I'm not exactly sure. I don't Me know if you either, know. actually, yeah. That's something we I should look theorize. into. I could, yeah, well, we should do some theory, and then maybe like next episode or a couple episodes we can talk about it exactly. Because uh, I didn't do... My research didn't really involve that so much. Um, so, yeah, it was shot entirely on set with green and blue screens, and extensive CGI was used to fill in everything else. It was actually shot mainly in New Zealand, which I didn't know. Uh, the the practical effects and the people who did a lot of the costuming were New Zealand-based companies. And uh, some of the shots took place in China, and I'm almost wondering, this kind of alludes to maybe what Jacob was saying at the very beginning, where they used shots of like Hong Kong or Chinese cities and then used those as the starting point and then adding the CGI buildings and stuff. And, the, and obviously all the advertisements and all the stuff like that. So I'm kind of I'm guessing that that was what happened uh, because it's to be easier to shoot and then have a plate uh, that you can composite and alter. Uh, as with most films shot in the modern age, it was shot digitally using the Ari Alexa, which is you know probably behind the red or not behind the red. Uh, it's probably next to the red is the most popular. Uh, digital camera. It's my favorite. I love the, uh, the Alexa every film that's shot on the Ari Alexa. I just like, 
Yeah, the Alexa, it's the, it's the camera that gets you closest to the film look, the digital camera that gets you closest to the film look, and even Roger Deakins um, loves it. I think the first time he used it was Mad Max, and because... Uh, no, Wait, Ro- I don't, Roger Deakins wasn't the DP for Mad Max. Fury Road, you meant? I don't. Yeah, he wasn't. What is it? He just he shot something in the desert. Where um, he used Sicario, those. maybe. Yeah, Sicario. I don't think it was Sicario. The guy who did um, Mad Max is, um, dare I say, John Toll. I think that sounds right to me. Um, maybe he was on. Se- maybe I am getting confused, but it, I remember seeing something where. Deacons was it was like the first time he had used it and was like yeah. insanely impressed. Deacons loves the Alexa, yeah. He, he shot, um, I believe he shot Sicario. He shot uh, True Grit. Um, yeah, he, I think True Grit. Um, and he shot some others like in the next. I think Hail Caesar. I think too. Okay. Oh no, he didn't do Hail Caesar. He actually didn't do Hail Caesar with the Coen Brothers. I don't think. Oh no, he did. No, this says he did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He did. Yeah, I'm he pretty did. sure he used the Alexa for that as well. Um. Alexa just it does make some pretty pretty gorgeous shots for sure and it, with the red like you know if you start talking about pricing and start getting really technical with things for the money the red is obviously one of the greatest cameras ever made uh, digital cameras anyway because it's just it it, it allow essentially allows for l- what you could call low budget independent films to be shot in a way that's cinematic you know because it's much Keith, more affordable. Could you be talking about Skyfall? Because that had some M- desert scenes. Maybe it was Skyfall, yeah. Maybe it's Skyfall that I was thinking of. Because I thought I saw him in the desert with, you know, the the Anjanue fucking, like, two-foot-long lens on the, on the <sighs> Alexa. And it was, like, the first film he shot it with. So maybe... Yeah, it might be. Maybe it was Skyfall. Gosh, that's Skyfall. interesting. I'm that trying to... Yeah, he, he was also used. Uh, well, he was. He also shot in the va- Valley of Elah, or in the Valley of yeah, in the Valley of Elah. But I don't know if it was shot on the Alexa or not. But yeah, and that that takes place in Arizona. If I'm mistaken, it's been a while since I've seen that movie. But, but that was 2007, so I don't know if the Alexa was out by then. Was the assassination of Jesse James that was, was that shot on film? Um, I want to say two thousand eight. I want to say it was two thousand seven. Because I want to say No Country for Old Men and the assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford were all film. Uh, but I could be yeah, wrong. Yeah, it would make sense for that one to be film. I can't picture it. I want to say the first film that he ever did in in digital was In Time. Roger Deakins. Okay, so was this that is the saying, Justin Timberlake. Movie? Right, right, right. And there, there's some desert stuff in that, actually. Yeah, so this was saying that Deacon shot Skyfall using the Alexa. So maybe that's what I'm thinking of, where okay, cool. that was, like, essentially his first film. Because he shot on film everything up till then. Well, yeah, well, he did In, in Time was his first film they did digitally, but I don't think it was with the Alexa. I'm not okay. sure what film they used for that. But, yeah, Skyfall had to have been his first time with the Alexa, I'm pretty sure. And he was just yeah. blown away by what it can do. So, I mean, that that tells you right there when you've... I mean, Roger Deakins is definitely, like, in the top echelon of cinematographers in cinema history, so... And even Lubezki, I mean, that's all... I don't... They, he shoots film, but, like, Revenant was shot with the Alexa, and that film is 
gorgeous. Oh, I man. mean, absolutely yeah. gorgeous. So, oh yeah. So it's it's no joke. It's definitely. I mean, when you got to pay upwards of close to a hundred thousand dollars for just the body of a camera, you know, it's definitely no joke. Uh, but it was shot using Panavision lenses, so you oh, know, Panavision getting in there again. Oh yeah. Um, the film has a certain mix of visual effects and practical effects. Uh, the pract- like I said kind of earlier, the practical side of things mainly were kind of the the props or the things that were in scene. And the CGI was kind of used to enhance, you know, like when she breaks through the window in the initial scene, that's all CG glass. Um, they shot that entirely, just her going through a, a basically a square. Um, and yeah, so the, geish- the geishas, I actually watched a behind the scenes video of this. Uh, the geishas were designed as costumes so that a real person could be in in it, you know, so that the, the masks, they were all designed as masks. And whatnot, and then they had separate ones for like when the when the mask gets pulled back, and you can see the robot face. And they had a separate one for when it's destroyed and everything like that. But you know, everything essentially that you see are people playing things to help kind of you know kind of blend that reality and the CG and whatnot. There was one shot that's CG with the geishas, though, right? Like when they turns into like a crab spider thing. Yeah, and it kind of goes up the wall. Yeah, and it goes up yeah. the wall. Pretty sure that was. I'm confident that was CG. Yeah, but I think like the majority of it was all practical of them like walking into the room and right and the whole right. fight. I mean, it wouldn't have been yeah. so hard for them to get someone up a wall. Yeah, they could have you know, used like right. the line, uh, cables and stuff, and then just exactly t- like, taken right. The, and I mean, you get a contortionist or whatever yeah. contortionist could do right. a move like that. But I, I mean, and well, no. I don't know. I, I I can't think of the shot. It was kind of quick, you know what I mean? So I don't remember yeah. if it yeah, looks CG or not. The spider's like, it like turns into a spider, like morphs into it, sort of, and then drags the guy up onto the Yeah, Michael Wincott's wall. body. <laughs> yep, the, that was sick, though, yeah. the way when it did yeah. that, when it kind of burst into its weird spider mode. That was, that was, that was pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Cool CG moment. <laughs> you know, if this yeah. movie becomes relevant in you know film like 20 years from now we'll look at that and be like god why did they include that spider scene (laughs) so stupid (laughs) that's what we're gonna say well i I didn't mind it though but that you know film critics and uh you know they'll they'll have their opinions but yeah so it's interesting talking about the live action remake kind of our main topic uh for this episode you can really see how they were even like live action remakes are a really weird thing oh that's happening oh shit technical issues okay yeah so live action remakes are kind of this weird thing that's happening like more recently where you know these producers and and these studios are kind of recycling things and for whatever reason you know people have all their sorts of theories about it but it's weird how like this movie couldn't get away from its source material like and I don't know if that's because he was trying to I think it was probably because he was trying to pay homage and and call back to the original film but like their people are really afraid to like read do it like they changed it obviously like the story was changed they added characters they took away characters they combined characters 
the the way the events play out are different in the movies and stuff like that but they're like really afraid to just make it its own thing and to the point where like shots were copied like the window scene or the window shot where she's sitting in front of the window was pulled directly from the anime the first sequence where she jumps off the building is almost shot for shot the anime um the underwater scene was different but you know and the, the boat sequence was shot differently but it's still the same scenes you know for the most part but like the difference being that like the live action remakes kind of like nowadays they feel like they have to jam so much more into it because they think that the audience needs to have like like for ex- like the whole storyline with her being uh, a runaway and having a mother and stuff like that and having this whole like fake backstory that's created for her was not mm-hmm. in the in the anime but for some like they thought that they had to add it in to add this humanistic element to the f- remake the live action one and like so so burdened down the movie I think like it's so I, I don't want to get too much into the opinion stuff yet but That's like great. it was just like it's such a, it's a thing they do in remakes nowadays where they feel like they have to just stuff so much into it for back like, how many shots and how many sequences in the in the new in the live action movie were just like here's exposition you know what I mean here's like here's yeah here's you this is what you are and here's the world and this is what the world is and this is like you know like let me beat you over the head a couple of times with fucking the fact that you're this ghost in the shell you're a ghost in the shell you know like right. I don't know I, I don't know exactly so where start, I was going we're starting with, with opinions <laughs> okay I don't know exactly where I was going with the point what I'm saying is essentially like I'm trying to point out the fact that when movies get made nowadays like they like to stuff that in there you know what I mean right. it's part of the live action adaptation I'm guessing Jungle Book you know I haven't seen the Jungle Book the new one so mm-hmm. like I don't know exactly how it compares it's, it's very 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 similar I would imagine to a T so is Beauty and the Beast so was Cinderella they were, they were all like insanely like especially Cinderella Cinderella to me felt like it almost felt like they had the animated movie like in the background on like 20% opacity and they were just matching <laughs> the cuts like and the shots like I, uh, it felt to me like the same exact movie um, I mean I don't know okay like maybe that's they're doing it because that's what we want as audiences it's the, yeah it's like the Disney like brand for lack of a better word like and I guess it's easier in terms of writing because you already have an like you're not reinventing the wheel necessarily right you're just kind of taking a wooden wheel and then making it chrome instead of wooden or something mm-hmm. like that you know like like you're you're changing it and trying to update it for the modern age but it would be interesting to see something where it was like you know they took any of those movies that we just listed off but it's a completely different story with the same characters or something you know what I mean like yeah it's it's a it's a I don't know one way or another whether it's good or bad that they do it like that but that's kind of generally how live action movies get remade or get made or remakes get made because they just they just take the story and then make it real people essentially yeah I I think I almost think that our episode title for like 
from animated to live action is almost wrong for this. Like, I almost think it's more going foreign to American. You know what I mean? Like, you go from, yeah. uh, you know, like girl, like how different Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is from the American one. You know, like they're they're pretty different. But that's the, a good point. In in this one, it's like there. It's it seemed like, and which I'm not saying this is a bad thing at all. But I think a lot of filmmakers and maybe a lot of critics would think this is a bad thing. But adding in the extra stuff to kind of humanize her. Um, makes her more relatable to a bigger audience it's a very and, american thing to do yeah and you know the budget of this movie was 110 million dollars roughly um so if you want all the cool effects and stuff like that then i feel like you you kind of like i feel like there's pressure to make sure that your movie is relatable to more people you know what i mean and has more action sequences and and more fancy action sequences and more fancy cg you know it's also why Uh, they made it pg-13 too to try and create the mass appeal which honestly i i felt like when when i was going into the movie i thought the pg-13 rating is going to hurt this movie but then after coming out of it i didn't think it really hurt it that bad i didn't i didn't really mind the PG-13 aspects of it. I mean, I would prefer R, but it didn't hurt it as much as I thought. Yeah, I... I yeah, I felt that... Yeah, I was kind of bummed that it was PG-13, and then I guess, I don't know. I left it thinking, like, oh, man, it would have been better if it was, you know, more bloody and more, just, like, more... Like, the, the whole... One of my favorite scenes was in that... the bar slash club right. you know and like yeah like i was like it could be so much more like seedier and like just like just better if they didn't have to worry about showing any you know the strippers like you know it's so like awkward because there's that shot of like the stripper who's like being um like streamed or whatever like the 3d projection stripper and she just has like her bra and panties on and it's like that's that's uh yep <laughs> i wonder if they shot it with her nude and then added in order to get the PG-13 rating I wonder if they added that in like I wonder if they shot something <laughs> God you know what I mean and then they're like well shit now uh, I bet an R version so exists somewhere because there's no way you base something in a strip club and have it go for a PG-13 movie that just doesn't make I guess I guess you're right that was the one scene where I was like yeah, this, this should be R This because it didn't feel right it didn't feel right that she had a bra on it felt like it felt like a middle school strip club, you know what I mean? Or I don't know, stupid. Okay, not we're not, not with middle schoolers. Let me hold on one bring second. It back, bring it back. Hold on, we we got a good recording of everything you said, but just give us a quick recap of what you said because it went through the oh. whole poor connection thing. Well, actually, I said something I I shouldn't have. Uh, <laughs> oh, I guess I'll hear it when I uh, do the recording. <laughs> yes, uh, so please cut it out. Uh, but it's. Uh, in, in a nutshell, I think the the scene that's in the strip club, I think that is the only scene I think that hurt because it was PG thirteen, and it was because you had the bra with the stripper on it. And, you oh know, yeah. Or I'm sorry, the stripper with the bra on, and uh, it just doesn't work for me. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I rewatched the anime. I actually saw it today. I rewatched it and. uh it's really it is graphic 
Like, there's actual, like, blood and guts. You know, they blow, like, someone's head off, and then uh, the guy in the car, I don't know exactly how it happens, but he essentially gets kind of, like, blown up from the inside, and you can see his rib cage and, like, a bunch of guts and stuff, and, like, you know, the obviously the part where she pulls the the panel off the back of the tank, like, and rips herself apart is pretty graphic. And then I like that in the anime too, better. Like, like she yeah. was way more messed up in the anime at the way, end. Way more yeah. she, she, she could not walk that off, but in the remake, you know, she... No, yeah, because they literally <laughs> had to find her a new body at the end of the yeah. anime, you know? And, like, the other thing that I didn't like... Well, not that I didn't like one way or another, but the, the difference that they they did in the live-action movie compared to the anime is that the anime is a self-contained story. Like, they didn't write it with the intention of doing number two. They eventually made it a series for a little while and stuff like that, but then you could tell by the end of this movie, they're like, she's walking up and she's got something inside of her. You know, she's got Kuze or whatever the hell as part of her now, or or she's she wants to find her. There's something there, right? There's something there where it's like... Mm-hmm. Okay, we kind of left a thread for number two, so we can pick right. up with Ghost in the it's, Shell. Too. It's the same thread that they leave at the end of the Matrix. It's like the same, like, all right, now I'm gonna show the world what's going on. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's the that's another thing, especially with modern day remakes, is that you essentially have to open it up to being a franchise. Otherwise, there's almost no point in them p- pumping that much money into a movie. You know, right. so even if, and I, th- I'm pretty sure that this this film actually used chunks of st- uh, story from the series, because uh, I think the, the character that they use and and some of the other characters they pull in and some of the story elements were actually part of the series. I've never actually seen the series, so I can't say for sure. Uh, but from my research, that's what people were saying, and um, so like. In a sense, they do have source material to pull from for a second movie. But also, this movie really hasn't made its money back yet. Um, Nope. And it's showing internationally right now. So, you know, I don't know. I think they were kind of trying to bank on having more international sales. But, you know, you said it was like, what, somewhere around $505 or something? And it's like... for what? For the budget for the film? $110 million. $110 million, yeah. So, like, yeah. it's, like, you know, barely halfway there in terms... And then you're not... That's not counting, you know, marketing costs and all that shit, too. So... Right. This film is nowhere near making its budget back. So, I don't actually know if it'll have a a second one. Yeah. It's I mean, underperforming for sure. I think its cinema score was a B... And CinemaScore is pretty reliable as far as, like, how it multiplies the box office, like, later on. Uh, but I think in your opening weekend, if you have a CinemaScore B, I think your total box office is something like three times what your opening weekend is. Something like that. Don't quote me on that. But it, it, it does a multiplier uh, like that. Oh, okay. I should probably know that. I don't know. Like, for me... This might be controversial, but I actually really liked the remake. Like, I mean, it's a remake, and as remakes go, I thought it was pretty self-contained. Like, yeah, there is a little bit of an opening, but, I mean, there was an opening in the first animated film, too, and that's why there is, like, more than just the one film, you know, Um, and the TV show. Um, I, and I just, for me, though, 
this is a little different is like I primarily watch movies though for mood and atmosphere and um and, and not so much the story so when I saw it it delivered on what I watch films for and it was cinematography and mood and this this the scoring the sound effects the music you know um phenomenal the, the the lighting the production design everything that i really look for especially in science fiction was there um and it didn't do anything to for me that was like so crazy like oh my god i can't believe they did that and it you know that they, they they completely ruined the anime for me or whatever you know like like they didn't go way out of bounds on things and they and if anything they might have actually have kept maybe in elements like what Keith was saying too faithful to the original where there were pieces that were like you know shot for shot almost the same as the original um which I mean I know that Rupert Sanders the director was a huge fan of Ghost in the Shell and I think his background is visual effects I think before he did Snow White and the Huntsman and um I think he he probably uh uh is you know, he was definitely um, in, in, in interviews that I listened to. You know, he he would talk about how you know Ghost in the Shell was actually a big influence on him, um, and he is a visual director. I think he he actually has a lot of good. Um, he knows how to place the camera and, and to make you know cool shots and stuff. So for me, I actually really like the film. Like if I was to rate it, I'd actually probably give it like an eight out of ten. Like because it if if there was no anime film. That the the movie would be a, like it'd be a huge film, you know what I mean? Like, it, I did watch the anime Friday night and then got up to watch the movie Saturday morning. So yeah. it is possible that like it was too much in the foreground of my thoughts when watching mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't know. I mean, it's tough. I mean, it, there, and there's like and you can get into the politics of the film too. You know about. The, the whitewashing of Hollywood and and stuff like that, oh, and now yeah. and I guarantee because that's gotten a lot of press that that might be one of the reasons why it's underperforming as well. Um, I that, know, like Scarlett Johansson, that is the reason because like Scarlett Johansson is a huge name. I mean, people, both men and women, go see Scarlett Johansson films, and women like to see her because she's a badass. You know, she does her own stunts most of the time. She does um, films that are aren't just dramas or romance. You know, films. She does she does action films and. I think women right. are empowered by that. And then, of course, you know, men go see her because, you know, she's, she's you know, sexy, um, but... Damn by her. You know, but, like, well, you know what I mean? I'm just saying, you know, but she's very also... Of you. But she's also very, like, you know, she's she's a, she's a Hollywood star for a reason. Um, yeah. So, but, however, like, I think the whitewashing thing and in, in, in considering our political climate and everything, I think people are paying attention to that even more than more so than what they were even five years ago. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yes. So, yes. like, even when Gods of Egypt came out, you know, again, that was a huge thing where the press got a hold of that and they said, you know, why aren't there any Middle Eastern or African, you know, actors in this film that takes place in Egypt? And I can see both you know sides of the argument however like there's some interesting things that they did with ghost in the shell um that i don't know if how many spoilers we want to actually talk about here but i i mean i them. would say that yeah we fair warning at the beginning of all these cool, episodes, yeah. like i think that's kind of just our thing that you know watch the movies because there's we're gonna spoil it you know like so like what did you guys think about the fact that her shell her body is Caucasian. However, 
her mind is that of a young Japanese woman or girl. And how that was... I, I, cause like I the, almost think that's worse. Because, like... No, I mean, not for, for me personally, but for the people who are offend, or were already offended by this movie, I feel like there was, like, the final punch in the gut. Like, for, for people who hate... Well... Who dislike the fact that Scarlett Johansson was uh, cast in this, for this role. Well, I read this article where they took four fairly prominent Japanese um, actresses, had them watch the film and talk to them about their thoughts on the film, and that was definitely one of the things that they found most egregious was because mm-hmm. in in if you talk about film theory and try and talk about philosophically about the movie, which essentially what you're saying is that you got to become the white woman to be the power. Yeah. To, to yeah. gain the power, essentially. That, that makes you the superhero, becoming the white person. So... You know, that's, I don't, I'm, just before we get too deep into the opinion stuff, I just want to say one way or another, I think it was interesting how they attempted to explain the whitewashing, because that's what they did, is they attempted to essentially justify the whitewashing. Um, <laughs> but but kind of made it worse. <laughs> which, I think, I mean, it definitely could be argued that it made it worse, you know, a lot of people yes. were just not happy about it, and... The other issue is that in Japan, they really highly regard white people. Uh, So it's... A lot of Asian countries. A lot of Asian countries do. And that's why the Great Wall kind of had its own issues, too, with the whitewashing thing, because... You know, people are wondering, well, why would you cast the white guy as the savior of the Asian country when part of it is that Asian audiences want to see that? Yeah, you know, I, I, like, have an, I have an answer to that, and that is the Jason Bourne franchise, which was huge in China. It was a huge, huge franchise in China and Asian countries. That's why Matt Damon is in The Great Wall. That's the, that's the reason. But then also for me, you know, it's like Matt Damon. He's known as one of the nicest guys in Hollywood. And, you know, and Scarlett Johansson is known for her for, for her professionalism and, and how well she delves into her characters and stuff. And she's been on record many times saying that she'd never play someone that's supposed to be of another race. Um, Even though she kind of is yeah so like like but like her character though like the machine part is that is supposed to be identity less right you know like like well, they did give her an identity though they gave her false memories right but like right. but the producer who, or the guy who or the person who created her or you know put all that together the honka president or whatever yeah. was julia binoche who is caucasian so like you know um so maybe she would just create someone that's like her, not someone that's, you know, of right. a different race. So, I mean, there's so much to it, and I, and I, I'm not, I'm not really leaning one way or the other, but I find it all interesting. Um, I mean, I think it's one of those things like both sides have their arguments. Um, but I, I like to, to honestly, I don't think Rupert Sanders made this film with the intent of saying that white people are more powerful or you know what I mean well let's but, just yeah, I mean but it's just what and what you're saying I just want to just just uh, draw attention to it Rupert Sanders made the film 
he's a British white guy. Right, right, exactly. You know what I mean? So, like, the person that they put in charge of making the movie is not even of Japanese descent, you know? And then I saw an interview, like, part of one of the behind-the-scenes things I was watching was they had uh, Mamoru Oshii, the director of the anime, basically said that he was cool with the movie, Right, yeah. And I don't know if that's yeah. if was his opinion or if he was paid to say that. I have no idea, but I'm saying that it's on record of him saying that. Yeah, so. he said that it was the most beautiful of all the Ghost in the Shell films oh, and TV well, shows. Right, so yeah. there oh, you go. Cool. So, yeah. <clears throat> you know, like... It's because Scarlett Johansson is in it. <laughs> <laughs> that's specifically what he was referring to. <laughs> so whether or not it matters that he did this, he essentially gave his blessing that the movie was okay. You know, but yeah. but from the top down, the movie was made by white people. You know, and yep. I, I, whether or not whitewashing is an overtly racist decision, or if it's kind of a more subdued, subliminal—I um, can't think of the exact term—subversive, um, uh, subversive, subversive yep. um, decision. I don't know. What I do know is that. Generally speaking, the dollar speaks the loudest. So yeah. the the other film that ran into this whitewashing issue was Doctor Strange, where the Tilda Swinton character was actually a Tibetan monk and mm-hmm. in the comics, and they changed her character. One of the reasons is also, also that I heard a, a man was a man right so the tibetan man right so they made it a woman and they made her white and one of the reasons that i came across was that they expected the film they wanted the film to be successful because china is one of those big markets that's growing right now if if i think world of warcraft really survived because of chinese audiences pacific rim survived Mm -hmm. because of asian audiences so they wanted to be able to appeal to asian audiences and especially china well you can't have essentially what they said is you can't have a tibetan monk main good character because china is having political issues with tibet and they don't they don't officially recognize it as its own state Mm-hmm. So you can't have them advertising and marketing positively this type of character because of the political situation. So right. essentially what they did was whitewashed it because, well, what we said earlier, Asian audiences like to see white people doing stuff. I mean, Pacific Rim had an Asian woman and then the main character was a blonde white dude, you know, like, yeah, you know, it, it's great. As much as we complain about whitewashing here, where the political in America, where the political climate is very tense, there's a lot of racial issues going on right now. Like we see that as an overtly racist thing. When my what I suspect is the majority of the decision is more of a business decision. Now, whether or not that's okay, that's up to for you, uh, you know, listeners and whoever else that watches movies to decide. I'm just saying that that is likely the reason. Yeah, I think, right. I mean, I think you're, I mean, Hollywood is a huge business, and I think that's, it's all about the money. You know, the producers, mm-hmm. the most producers are going to be making a film so that they can get more money, not because they have something to say politically or their personal opinions regarding race. You know, I mean, there are, but those people, I think, primarily focus on films more like, you know, dramas and documentaries. Like, I mean, it's kind of a stereotype, but that's, 
for people that are really passionate about things like that, you know, and and, and, and like. But then you know, the, there's big producers that are you know pedophiles and 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 racist and you know so like who you know, it's all one of those things. But I think money yeah. talks, and money is the the is the is the main. Let me put it this way. Yeah. Um, if you are in a business situation where you have someone invest into what you're make what you're doing, you have a legal obligation to make a profit and make money for them. That I mean, it's legal. You're bound, bound legally. That's why, you know, for-profit companies, shareholders, stuff like that, and that's why businesses will always try and cut the cost to make the maximum amount of profit, because people want money, and you have to pay a bunch of people who are investing in your product and stuff like that. And I mean, films are going to do the same thing, where you know they're going to find ways to cut costs, they're going to find ways to maximize the amount of money that they're making, and they're going to roll with that. And, you know, you can see it changing nowadays because there's a lot of outcry and movies that do have these, what people would consider overtly racist ideas are not selling as well. I mean, this is kind of an example where maybe casting Scarlett Johansson was not the best choice. (laughs) There is some backlash to it, you know, so we are seeing some change in what characters, I mean, you're seeing a lot more female characters, um... You know, more black characters to a degree. You know, it's a lot more Mexican filmmakers uh, behind the camera, you know, yeah. are involved. Which is cool. Um, so it's it's slow but sure. Like, I don't know. It's, it's getting to the point now where it's like you have to feel bad because you have a white person as your main character. But it's like a lot, a lot of the chunk of the world are white people. Like... You, you, especially, you can't especially just not Americans. have them. Yeah, you can't just yeah. not have a white person in a role. But, like, I mean, I get what people are saying. I mean, I'm half Asian myself, so I get what people are saying when they say, look, we want some diversity in the casting and stuff like that. We don't just want to be secondary. We don't just want to be the thing that gets killed. We want to be the main person. We don't want it to have... We want to be a main person in a movie that doesn't focus on race. That's just, yeah. you are what you are, you know, and I get that. But at the same time, it's like, Dude, white people exist. So what are you going to do? Just not have white people in movies anymore? Well, like Keith, the, the problem here is you're using your one half whiteness to say that. So why don't you dive into your your one half Asianness and uh, share an actual thought? Huh? What? I'm so what? <laughs> you're saying because know. I'm I'm half I'm half that I don't have an actual thought? I don't get a real opinion. <laughs> Dude, no, yeah, I you, see how you, you are, no, you fucking what racist. I'm saying, what I'm saying is your white half is wrong. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, because white people are naturally wrong, dude. <laughs> Haven't you okay. seen, like, the biblical cartoons where all Adam and Eve are white and Jesus are white and, like, all the problems stem from white people? Right. White Eve ate the apple, caused all of sin. Pretty, and she's also a woman. Yeah, too. exactly. Women, so women fuck force you to white sin. people and fuck women. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so okay, we, obviously, just to clear that up, yeah, I'm kidding. Totally joking. Yeah, totally joking. We are only slightly racist. We are racist. We just hide it really well. Okay, that's that's what we're about. Jacob does live but, in Arizona now. He's specifically in Arizona, down so I shoot there, people so. and stuff. So it's pretty bad. Um, but here, I have two things <laughs> that he, I want to. You conservative prick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a hey, liberal. Like I'm a, a liberal uh, high horse. You, no. like, you like. Guns. Yeah, I'm like a liberal 
I don't. I don't know. I, you know I'm, actually, yeah. I'm actually liberal. But no, yeah, I'm, share, I'm, I'm share. right in between on a lot of stuff. But I tend to go towards the liberal side of a lot of issues. Yes. But when it comes to I, guns, I'm definitely conservative. I'd also like to like, point out, like all filmmakers, I just want a quick world. disclaimer here for listeners. I don't give a shit what you believe. Like if you where you land politically or religious in terms of your religious beliefs, like. A movie yeah. is a movie. We're here to kind of focus on talking about Let's movies. Talk about so, it. like, you know, I wouldn't say any of don't don't hold our opinions against us because in reality, we're trying to just talk about the movie. Right. You know, I right. think it's I think it's I think it's healthy to have discussions and to have this back and forth and just to have that. I mean, when when yeah. when you're only listening to a certain news station or watching a certain news channel and stuff like that, I mean, that's where there is no discussion and you're only getting your your information from one thing. So I think it's healthy to to not only hear other people's opinions, but because it's not like we're right or wrong. It's just an opinion and. And, or an idea so I think it's important to have that and I think film is actually I mean when you look hey, over yeah. time you know like film is something that people look at and be like oh my gosh this was made um, during the Vietnam War and look at what it was saying and it's not even related to the Vietnam War but mm-hmm. yet theme wise it is and I think it's uh, film is important um, I mean yeah I, I want to I, I want to I wanna, before we get too far away I want to I've been want, I've been trying to share two things uh, no <laughs> so let me I'm going to share these two things first and then and then we can move on um, one is Tilda this is kind of far back so Tilda Swinton in Doctor Strange um, I, I read that same article Keith that you read that was like oh because of Tibet this is why we cast Tilda Swinton, uh, Swinton which doesn't make sense to me as an excuse um, for something like this like because of the relationship with Tibet and China, um, that that complex relationship, why not just cast a Chinese person or a Japanese? You know what I mean? But at the same time, I'm not trying to argue for or against. What I am trying to do is acknowledge the fact that Tilda Swinton was in the movie because Tilda Swinton, Tilda Swinton is a badass. You know? Like, she, she just is a badass actor. Uh, so... I mean, if if you're a listener, just think about if you were producing a movie and you thought, okay, Tilda Swinton wants to be in my movie? Yes. That's, like, that's the only answer you can really give because that's amazing. She's an amazing actress and um, she's great. She's like she's like 55 years old and look at her. She's awesome. Well, there's uh, no doubt that her name helps sell the movie. I mean, you know, like, yeah. that's probably obviously one of the reasons too is what can we put into a movie to sell it? You yeah. Know? Personally, I think that's what people don't look at is they they don't look at what the in, what the intent is, and the the intent is the fact that they're trying to sell the movie, right? But most people look at movies anyways as a result, you know. So when people go see a movie, they are looking at the final step of the movie, which is someone watching it, you know. And so there, people don't think about movies as people's intention they they think of it as like the result of something they say i like it or i didn't like it they don't they don't think about how it was produced or you know maybe the excitement of scarlett johansson being on the project you know frankly i I bet half the people on twitter that are complaining about this think that uh scarlett johansson just like shows up and that there's no script and they just 
she just talks into the camera and that's it you know what i mean like people aren't as smart as no people are smart say, like, but people but, are smart but like i don't think people what do you really think jacob have the i don't uh, what you're saying is essentially i think, think about the intent uh, that's what i'm trying to I think say what you're saying i think is people are smart movies kind of they exist in two two realms where they can provoke a lot of thought or you can watch a movie and not have it provoke a lot of thought which is fine either way like movies are entertainment so if you watch a movie just to have fun and watch action because you want to see shit blow up then that's cool that's why you watch a movie and why we're doing the podcast is it's in part because we're trying to get people to be engaged about thinking about that you know a movie does take I mean, there's a reason why there's like a couple hundred people in credits because it takes thought, it takes determination, it takes effort, it takes your time, it takes a lot of money, you know, it takes a lot of work as much as we want to, as much as movies get glamorized as this like everyone's drugged up and fucking each other and and it's just a happy good old time, like it takes a lot of dirty like work, like hard work, you know, like, you know, like you said, she doesn't just show up on set she had to read a script and they had to go through the negotiations of figuring out at what part of, you know, how much she'd get paid for the movie. And then she'd have to actually show up every day for however many months to shoot the movie. And she had to do all this different stunts that she was chosen to do. And, you know, she had to actually be the character to a degree, you know, like she had to physically mm-hmm. be in front of a camera. So it, you know, it's, it yeah. isn't just easy peasy. If they had cast Tilda Swinton's character with like Charlie Sheen, would the conversation even come up? Yeah, totally. Because like it would be different, but it would come up with. What do you mean with Charlie Sheen? What do well, because like when you when like, like a white man, it's like a white man, right? But yet there's all of his personal life that's attached to his name now. Oh, so oh, it'd become it'd become this like thing where it's like it's a joke almost. But yet in the movie, of course, it wouldn't be well, a joke because it's serious. Like he's it's a serious character, it's a serious role. But yet. When you see it'd be this meta joke sort of going, well, on. yeah, like it'd be like this weird thing where it's like, I mean, I mean, like the, the 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 comic book purists, I think, would be upset because, like, obviously, it's not what the comic book said. But would the political Tibetan China like thing actually come up? Because I think people would too f- be focused on like, oh my god, they actually got they got Charlie Sheen, you know, it's right. Charlie Sheen, you know, like. Well, I right. think I think it would. You just have more. You'd have. A different variety of the conversation happening. Right, right. It would still come up because it would have to because it, regardless of what you change it to, I mean, change it to a fucking kid. Right. Or yeah. Yeah. You know? Like even like, if it was like yeah, like an African American kid, you know. Exactly. Or maybe yeah. if it was a black dude instead yeah. or a black chick or whatever. Like. Yeah. Y- you you'd still come up. It would be just a different conversation. It'd be like, why didn't you have that? It's not. It wouldn't be whitewashing necessarily, right. but it would be like, right. well, why couldn't we just have those characters be who they are? And yeah. You're, especially in today's hot climate of political climate, people are just itching to have something they can com- talk about and complain about yeah. and, and fight about. Itching and... to do some bitching. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, so, Byron, I, I think your your point about would people – are you trying to say, like, people would be distracted by the fact that Charlie Sheen is – in the movie so it's like yeah. whoa Charlie Sheen so instead of having all these, all these articles about uh, why did they cast Scarlett Johansson 
you know and instead it's like charlie sheen is in the new blah 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 right how cool is that we haven't seen a movie with him in like a long 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 time exactly it's like uh, one of those like it's like that typical like you know um tmz like e channel yes. whatever it is it's like where it, that news is going to overshadow maybe what's more important and that's like a whole other aspect of hollywood that you know gets too much attention yet doesn't get a lot of attention at least from like the conservatives and the liberals right Mm -hmm. you know because like it's something that maybe that's what's next maybe we're going to be seeing that way more from both sides of the political spectrum you know involving um you know and it does has a little bit with meryl streep you know um commenting on trump uh, at the golden globes and stuff like that like it is a thing, and it's yeah. going. To, it's probably going to become more and com- more and more common, but it hasn't quite affected um, actual film roles yet. It's, in, it's it's. I think it's affected celebrities' personalities, like Jane Fonda in the sixties and seventies with the Vietnam War. I mean, she's she's known for her her standpoint on that, um, and I think it did affect her career, whether it was negative or positive. But like it hasn't really affected like her character roles i don't think as much right um so i don't know it'll be interesting I, it's this is kind of a crazy topic one that has so many different facets and, and strains that it's right. gonna be hard we could to do a whole podcast right right on, <laughs> on this we probably get more listenership too <laughs> i actually think it's it's i mean it just goes to show you like the power of movies too the fact that like movies are a reflection of the time but they're also a thing that helps prompt a lot of discussion I mean look at how much time we spent just talking about how this movie's got some like crazy political issues right now with the casting and stuff like that so like you know that's any good horror movie as a, for example any good horror movie the reason why it's good and why it lasts is because it's a metaphor for the things that are being talked about at the time right like to a more literal sense Pan's Labyrinth is kind of like that with the literal army being mm-hmm. bad guys and stuff like that um, but you know, generally speaking horror movies as metaphors for things is why they, they last and they, they're a reflection of the time And but like I said yeah also like it's crazy how much these choices that people make in remakes that they might consider, you know, like nowadays it's hard to make a movie and not consider what people are going to say about it uh, in terms of like casting and stuff like that, right? Like they knew there was going to be issues with her casting and that's why they tried to write it into the story itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like it, the fact that these choices for these remakes can cause such a crazy uproar and just and I mean, it's a remake of a movie that's supposed to talk about identity, so it's kind of a little more ironic in that sense. You know, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Fact, yeah, that's a really good point. The fact that, like, you know, she's dealing with this, like, weird change in... in, 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 in I don't know. I don't know exactly where I'm going with that, but it, what essentially, like, you know... How do you do a live-action remake? Because it's so it's so hard to make... I mean, Doctor Strange is sort of a is a movie that was made off a comic, right? And we talked about like its own issues and how do you work around that that stuff, you know? And and have a movie that's 
that not only pays respect to its source material but does something new but also still is dancing around all the political issues that are facing everyone today you know like I don't know yeah like I think it for me it kind of boils down to what Scarlett Johansson was kind of saying to every interviewer interviewer that she was you know uh, from what I saw is she would just say I hope that when people that people just kind of watch the film and hopefully the film speaks for itself on what they were trying to do and I think it kind of does um but it's up for the viewer to either take that positively or negatively right (laughs) well on that note I think let's we could do some quick reviews of each one um sweet I guess let's just start with the anime. I mean, it, it's pretty hard to speak negatively to it. I think the only thing that I think is it's kind of it, it's got a weird pace to it, and it does feel kind of long for a movie that only ends up being. I mean, the total runtime is like eighty something minutes, eighty two minutes, I think, um, and it does feel kind of long. But obviously, like it's good. I mean, it's obviously kind of. I, I can't believe it took me this long to watch it. Like I don't know. Like for me, of course, it's one of my favorite animated films. Like I, I love the film. But uh, when I compare it to the remake, and this is going to be kind of controversial, at least with Keith, I think, is I actually, <laughs> I actually thought it was, I, I've seen Ghost in the, uh, the original Ghost in the Shell quite a few times. You know, starting from like I don't know, I guess six years ago or five years ago. I, I love how you're prepping. Well, because like, well, there's like this whole intro. Well, yeah, you know, because like one point because like I I love the film. Like I don't want anybody to think that I don't dislike it, but I do think that the the character of Major um, lacked in the first film. Like I think there's there's okay. Part part of me goes I like the fact that there isn't a lot of backstory with Major um, because again for me in film character doesn't really matter for me at the same time i found her so interesting in the anime that i i wanted to know more you know um because mm-hmm. i because i liked her you know i wanted so i i, I did want to know more or at least just more about the character and stuff so then when the remake came along when i watched it last night i was pleasantly surprised that we got to actually delve into a little bit more of like things that yeah. weren't in the anime which surprised me I wasn't expecting that so like again I totally get how like oh yeah it's definitely like the American thing to do you know <laughs> put put the the more exposition and the emotional you know um, storytelling in there but I actually for once in my entire like life I actually <laughs> liked it like normally normally I'm not into that at all but because I was like how how are, how are they going to get Scarlett Johansson like my biggest question when I after I watched you know after I found out that they were doing a live action remake is like how are they going to get the people to actually care about this character um yeah um so I see what I see why they did it um and I and for for I don't know why but for some reason I actually kind of liked what they did with it um yeah I I 100% agree with you I I thought the character from this movie or from the 2017 one was so much better in in my opinion than the character from the anime 
I mean, and like, like Scarlett Johansson did such a phenomenal job. I mean, it, her performance reminds me from one of my favorite films of 2014, uh, which was uh, Under the Skin, where she plays an alien trapped, not trapped, but an alien so in a woman's body, and she goes around Scotland trying to get humans so that they can she can feed her host planet or whatever her the her, her home planet um you know right. and stuff uh she's the, like naked for that whole movie right oh not really just there's like the the pretty, pretty sure just when she's movie. doing the trapping the humans yeah she kind of when she's in like the black right background yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah so she she plays a character in that film an alien that has no perception of what is a human so she's watching you know the the baby on the beach and it's you know probably going to get swept up by the ocean and she has no concept of 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 how that image to us as humans you know would be like oh man someone needs to help that baby she doesn't know anything like that so in this film where she Actually, plays that's a fascinating point right so like she you're about to make so yeah so like, make it. yeah so she 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 she's plays a, a machine with a human brain and but a, a, with the soul that or a ghost right that that doesn't even really exactly know who she is or what her past is but she's in this body um mm-hmm. that's not her own and how how does one even approach playing something like that is insane to me and like she for me pulls it off and there were critics that were like okay you know like the film was good blah blah blah, and she you know johansson did a good job however like there needs to be more emotion like in her but it's like well but that's like again just an opinion because that's also the point because she but like the way she walks you know she walks with her is uh, she doesn't walk like this in any other film you know where she Mm -hmm. she almost Mm -hmm. walks uh, her shoulders a little bit higher and forward almost like more like a, a bulldog um yeah she walks with her rigid. arms really straight too, right like yeah and it just works because it's like it's not quite robotic but it's more like quote like army or mil- militaristic yeah. um yeah but it's subtle enough where it doesn't pull you out of like oh this is a performance um but it's something that helps with that whole idea of um of identity and I don't know I, I I was just really impressed with it um and it, it just tied in with for me that the the little bits that they added that weren't that weren't in the anime yeah sorry that I was a, that was a spiel <laughs> no that was good I, I wonder if I, I'm theorizing but I wonder if they cast Scarlett Johansson in this role because of her work on Under the Skin I wonder if I wonder if she was like one of the you know one of the top picks for this role because someone saw under the skin who's who's making this movie and is like she can do exactly what we need let's get her you know what i mean and and think about the movie her where she plays a ai that doesn't even have a body right so it's almost the opposite or almost the same really uh where she plays a, a a system a computer system that is just in the pocket of Joaquin Phoenix's sh- front shirt, right? Yeah. Or shirt no front shit. pocket, that's, you know? That's another good example. And how she can, in that film, you care about that relationship when you're just hearing her. You don't actually see her. So right. she can, she she's really good at somehow tapping into that um, millennial thing, though, because it's not something that is quite... It was hinted at, you know, with Blade Runner in the 80s, but it, it, and hinted at with the anime, you know. Um, but it's now something that we're seeing more and more in science fiction films about, you know, um, 
artificial intelligence and cyborgs and you know uh what can make a human greater and you know stuff or what can make a robot greater you know i don't know it's right. cool <laughs> well, well i thought i thought overall this movie was really good um i enjoyed all the shots i enjoyed i don't i enjoyed the, the visual effects because they were they were integrated in an interesting way for me um my my personal taste with the giant people um in the buildings i just if, if i'm just gonna say i just didn't like that like honestly i was just like i just and that might be unfair but there's just something about it i just was like i just don't believe that would ever exist you know what i mean like i just i don't think that will ever be an ad um and it it didn't work from an artistic artistic side for me either um it there's just that was the only thing where i was just like i don't i don't like that as i do that is, and that's just that's totally my opinion that is i actually agree with you 100 percent. when the first trailer came out when i saw the big like holographic uh, or hologram uh people walking like or like you know standing in the city i was like oh man like i see what yeah. they're going with but i really don't like it i kind of prefer the work. more blade runner where it's just like neon signs and stuff like that you know yeah <laughs> like i liked all the like you know what you would call 3d like hologram stuff but just not the giant people right you know what right. i mean yeah definitely it was yeah like some of the but, creatures were okay but the yeah, I don't know. Yeah, they're yes. too big. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But yeah, I love the um, the whole the the geishas at the beginning. I thought those were super cool. Um, I love the water scene that they they brought back where they're in the fountain. And honestly, that sh- space that they shot that is gorgeous. And it could have been a comp, but you know, if that's real, then that's cool. But if it's it's probably not. But um, uh, yeah, and the whole character additions I thought were great. Um, the action scenes were pretty good. I think there was one element or one part of the movie, I think it was, it was probably like two-thirds through, where I just kind of got confused. Like, I just lost, like, what was, where people were going and what was happening. And, like, I don't know... I don't know why. Maybe it was just like a one-off. You know, sometimes that happens when you watch a movie, or at least to me, I don't know if other people are like me, but sometimes I'll just start zoning out in a movie, you know what I mean? And then get back into it. That could have been it. But I honestly, there was just some weird detachment at some point, and I had to like regain my grounds, and I'm I'm not sure why that was. Um, But normally for me, that's a sign that something just didn't click for me or something was at a place in the movie you know so it's like or something was missing in the movie but i'm not sure what that was i I'm, i don't know if did that happen to you guys yeah it happened to me like when i think it was after the scene where there's like that little bit of a car chase and stuff and then the scene where she goes and visits her what we you know we find out later is her mom um mm-hmm. like that scene's important because of what bookended it before and after like it it seemed that whole little section seemed to go a little too slow um yeah and that almost like maybe the action scene before it should have been a little bit longer and then it wouldn't have been so bad you know like it wouldn't have been so i wouldn't have been stuck in like kind of like okay what's like let's let's pick it up a little bit um and for me that was really the the only like in the whole scene when she goes into the water and she comes back up and then the um I forget his name the guy with Otto. the yeah um yeah. is there talking to her like 
there was a couple of these scenes that were kind of close together from what I remember that were like these dialogue scenes that were but kind of they didn't each individual scene didn't go on but they because they were all kind of lined up next to each other it seemed like the film kind of dragged on just there just for a little bit just for a little yeah bit. yeah I, I agree and I think there was I didn't all the exposition in this movie did not mind it except for one and that was the part where the puppet master who they they don't call him the puppet master and Kuze Kuze yeah um he's talking about how he was the first one and how he's like oh all these other people I really wanted to see that instead of just hear it from him like I I wanted like a, a flashback or even just to have that scene somewhere in the movie where that happens to him just to like give him a place that that was really the only time where the exposition bugged me um, but all the other exposition I thought was fine and I thought it, I thought it worked really well what does Keith think? <laughs> <laughs> he's been silent. Right, here we go. We're drum <laughs> he's, he's been waiting. No, We've I'll... been drum rolling for him, so now he, he has his symbols. <laughs> I love that you guys are it. on this because, like, <laughs> I get to be contrarian. And it's not because I want to be contrarian. No, it but it ends up being discussion. that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I, the anime is really good. Um, and, like I said, I've watched it a couple of times, and I'm sure I'll rewatch it at some point. Um but I found the the remake to be fucking boring, honestly. Um, <laughs> I was like, I was not digging it for the most part. I thought Scarlett Johansson was awkward. I thought her fight scenes sucked. Like, they could have given her, like, God, put her through, like, a little bit of training, you know? Like, I just thought she was awkward at fighting and everything was hidden around quick cuts or the, the, the actual, like, fighting choreography was very much one-two punch down, very simple, the shooting was really simple. Um, I didn't like how they added in a uh, a reason why Bato got his optic eyes. I didn't like how they had to do that. Um, and I, I get kind of why, because you, you it's hard to relate to a guy when you see him like that as a real human. So they wanted a, a point in time. It's like the whole mask thing where in movies nowadays... Um, you can't really... They don't mask people's faces because we as humans attribute a lot of what we know about someone to their face. So I get that. Like, yeah, yeah you want to, you want to see him. What? I actually, I was going to say, I actually really liked that. They gave that to us like that other, you know, that history with nah, his eye. Fuck like, all that. I love, I, I really liked no. it. I was honestly, I was pissed that he didn't have the glasses at first. Cause I was like, Wait, where's that guy's glasses? Because it's clearly that character. It's so he, does not he, he got, finally got the, his glasses. I was like, oh, sweet. But that was because of the explosion, though, yeah. right? It's it's like the explosion. Because of the explosion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did not have to be explained. It was better just to have him be that way. It just that's who his character is, I think. Um, and I, I thought it, I thought it added. Sorry, I I, th- I thought it added um, like the the casual the casualness that he had about just getting the eye implants. Like he was like totally just fine with doing it you know what i mean which was dumb um, but but then he <laughs> i didn't think that was dumb i thought it, i thought it dude come on i just had my eyes blown out and replaced but hey, that's whatever i can i got x-ray vision so now i can see through your clothes it's cool no big well i think come I think on it's, dude uh, no i don't think that's dumb that he was just playing it casual you know what i mean um i i thought that it showed you like showed people like what kind of like how people thought in in this time about cybernetic enhancements oh you know because before we had a character who was like i'm all human right right right, right. cyborgs 
But then you have this other guy who's like, well, now I can, you know, see in thermal vision and, you know, so I don't know. I just, I, I liked that he was casual about it because it felt like the world to me. Yeah, it oh, felt he, like no matter who you are, you're going to get some sort of enhancement at some point. That's what it seemed the, like. The guy who had the liver thing, which I thought was a, that was a pretty funny. Thing. <laughs> the, uh, being able to metabolize faster. In the anime, yeah. he's actually really chill about his cybernetics and he's, they do show that like his arm is cybernetic and he's got internal stuff and shit like that. And I guess mm-hmm. that this placed his character, I just was like, I just don't think it's necessary. I think it's just, it having this mystery of, of why he's even like that is kind of cool because I don't think they really go into it in the anime at all um, mm-hmm. the mom stuff like like the glitches and stuff like adding all that in is kind of it's just everything they added in bogged it down in my opinion and like having this evil fucking CEO corporate guy is so cliche. That was and, pretty cliche, yeah. And the uh, my, the only saving grace yeah. that I really found in the movie was Beat Takeshi, because that dude Oh, was, dude, he's fucking badass. ...was awesome. The car scene was sick, yeah. dude. The car scene was sick. Dude, in his films, and, if you've ever seen his films, man, his films are fucking badass. Yeah, he's Zatoichi in um, that series, too. So, like, that his no, character like his, was sick. The ones he directs. Oh, the ones he directs. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Um... But his character was sick, and I still thought it was weird that he was like the only person to speak Japanese. Uh, I, like, yeah, that was that was kind, that of, was like, kind of a disappointment. Weird. And then the floating too. subtitles that were all over the screen—they couldn't pick one place they wanted it to be. It was like the John Wick. Was, thing. I was just gonna say it was just like John Wick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally. Where they I got actually kind of like that style. It's kind of. I think it's kind of new. It has like kind of at least for John Wick it worked because it was like kind of that graphic novel. And they also said like two words look. at a time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like. He was saying like long sentences, and then it'd be like it's in the top right. Now it's next to him. Now it's in regular, <laughs> yeah. you know, subtitle. I, I liked like, it because it was like the the problem with subtitles is they're always at the bottom, and it 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 like your image doesn't like it, the the composition of it is like so forced. You know what I mean? And it's like such a safe place to put it. But there there are so many different ways you can put words in any medium, like in advertising. You know, like you want to you want to make the best image that you can and put the like if you have a sailboat you want to put your words like right to the right along down so you can like fit it all in this tiny square that someone's going to watch on the internet um so i don't i don't mind it like i kind of like that we're diving that some films are trying to push away from the conventional like bottom uh subtitles like i i because i i think it means we'll have cooler looking images i think i agree with you if it's done okay so like i think a good example of what you're talking about is the sherlock series when they do texting um and it pops up the text pop up as little bubbles on the screen but it's always by their head so you know where to look and i think that's the thing that bothers me is that you know this film there was no rhyme or reason to where they put stuff it was just there on the screen where like if a subtitle's at the bottom <clears throat> then you know i'm gonna look down to read i'm gonna look up look down to read you know like it, it's easier to watch the film almost because you know where it's going because it's consistent <clears throat> right so if if they yeah. were to create a rule in the film of where their subtitles go then it would work it was acting more like a music video not so much like a narrative film yeah yeah yeah, it was just sure. it's just so I can, I don't know. Overall, I just did what didn't really dig it, um, and 
I don't I'm one way or another I don't know I don't really have a super strong opinion about the whitewashing I just think her in particular as an as a, the casting choice I think was wrong <clears throat> I thought her line delivery kind of sucked for the most part it was and I and I, I don't know if that's because they wanted her to be try and be robotic but I just didn't buy it. You hated this movie. I was not a big <laughs> you fan. Hated yeah, I wasn't it, a big dude. fan. No, there were some things. I mean, shit. there were things that I thought <laughs> were okay, but overall, no, I just wasn't. See, now I have, now I have to go watch Dread, like Dread, and see the comparison. Jesus. Like, like, because like I have a feeling that Dread is gonna suck compared to this movie. But like, gr- like as a movie, Dread the, but the I, remake I, but of Dread. Right, but I'm just curious. Yeah. I'm no, just it's curious. Way See, that's so funny. I'm gonna have to watch it. You should watch it. Okay, here's the thing with Dread. Look for the VFX. No, here, They're super. Here's the cool. thing. Dread is like it. It knows what it is and doesn't try to be anything different. That's okay. the difference. Okay. It's just one location, the building. I mean, multiple locations within the building. Right. But essentially, one location. The straight up action film. The there's a simple goal. Yeah. He's got to get to the top. He's he's it's, he call his it cop. Its tone yeah. really well. It oh, nails cool, its tone. Cool. He's a cop. He needs to get to the top. Take out the leader. That's it. Sweet. And he's got a rookie with him, right? Who's a telepath or whatever. And that's what it is. Oh man, it doesn't try to be out. anything different. It just he's a cop who's got it, his character is a one goal, yeah, one dimensional person, and that is the point. Whereas this movie is like. Well, we got to be philosophical like the anime was, but then now we got to try and add in like this extra stuff, and like we're trying to be highbrow, but like we don't necessarily feel like we can just kind of we have to like beat you over the head with this because we don't think you actually get all the themes and stuff. Like I I thought, I agree with you, Keith, on on that aspect. And then I also thought thought, like totally confused in a couple scenes. Yeah, and the pacing was weird. Not everything just kind of matched up, but I still enjoyed it. Yeah, it's funny because like for me, I felt that it didn't hammer in these like philosophical or theoretical like ideas as much as it could have like what's typical of Mm -hmm. hollywood i felt that for what it was doing it was actually less than what i was expecting um yeah and then and then and that the ideas that it presents um with identity and machines and 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 you know all of that kind of speak for itself like i didn't think that they actually had to go into a lot of detail and i didn't think that they really did like they definitely did. There was like, I mean, okay. Th- I think my biggest problem is like, you get the feeling like the movie's progressing. Okay, stop. Let's talk. Let's 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 throw all these ideas out there. Okay, the movie's progressing. Stop. Make sure he's get make right. sure. Like anytime she was talking to the doctor, like they kind of tried to at slip in. Okay, well we got to fix her arm, so she's gonna go to the doctor. Well now's the time we can just throw in like all this extra shit yeah. background and all this stuff and it's like uh, the beauty of what the anime did was it didn't need all the background it just presented it just the ideas right. were there she you mm-hmm. there's certain okay there are scenes where it does stop like the elevator scene she's just it's just them talking she's like I I don't know I'm just ghosting the show like I don't know what I am now yeah I'm trying to deal with right. the, that consequence okay that's in the anime and the anime does but the have, timing of that is is better in the anime. it seems like to it, work better it, it comes off of a, a scene where that's relevant right you know what I mean? yeah. right right and the boat scene right. in the anime in this movie, yeah like it, the scenes yeah. that are of exposition in the anime happen but they happen fast it's like boom I am this way all right let's move on whereas this like, it's like 
well, we got to have this long sequence where she stares at her mom <laughs> and like you can yeah. see the mom slowly realize that maybe this is her daughter and like yeah. we got to throw in this special cute little cat. I totally like, I totally agree with you on that. But at, at the same time as American remake live action films go, this has to be one of the best ones that I can think of. In the sense a pretty low bar though. Like, well, I mean, I, I, I mean I yes, but like you mean American live action off of a foreign animated? I mean, I would say well, that there's even just foreign. How many times is that even? I was gonna happen? say that's well, a pretty even, small group. Well, of not films even so much even just about. animated, but just foreign film. Oh, just foreign. Like, like, yeah. like honestly, like I, I'd say it's up there. There's not many though. I don't right, know but like even like okay, like Inception, right? It's not a remake of anything, but like to me that it just the theories behind it just seemed way too much like hammered like they were hammering stuff into me right i didn't feel that so much with this one um because the 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 ideas that it was presenting kind of just speak for themselves if that makes any sense but but like you were saying yeah, Keith, but then why the didn't whole, they let them speak for themselves i know but that's I because i think like. the majority of unfortunately the majority of film goers are going to go watch this movie are going to not like they haven't done what we've done. They haven't talked. They haven't. They haven't gone to college and, and talked about, um, or not even necessarily college, but talk. Have these discussions about about um, technology and you know what right. I mean. Like a lot of these people's PG thirteen. Not everybody's an English major. Well, they, like yeah, the, the, the demographic I guarantee is going to be fourteen to like nineteen year old boys are probably going to be seeing the film. Yeah, I would say you know a lot I mean? of people probably don't. They might have heard of the anime but didn't watch it. And right. The, you could tell that the filmmakers... Has the cult status. Yeah, yeah the filmmakers yeah. definitely felt like they needed to play it safe in that regard, too. Like, oh, well, you know, maybe the anime doesn't carry as much weight. So, like, 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 James Cameron, right, loved the original anime. But if he had remade this, do you know how shitty it would have been? Like, like if James Cameron, if did James it? Cameron did it, it would have oh, yeah, been like been it would have been fucking terrible. Like, why would it be bad? Because his stuff is just completely unoriginal. Like, he just rips off like other shit. <laughs> well, that's, why, that's why it would be good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would be. I don't think it would be terrible. Think, I don't think. I think. I don't okay, know, I don't, no, hold on, hold you, on. You guys aren't giving a I good think, reason why James Cameron does this movie. One second. Terrible. <laughs> I think that in his early days, I'm talking about like his first couple of films. I think he understood, or not understood, I think he cared about nuance and the small details of character, whereas now that is less interesting to him, and he's more about the spectacle and the big picture. And I think that's where he puts his focus, whereas in this movie, it would maybe looked would have looked really grand, but you wouldn't have the subtleties... And it's not, I'm not saying this movie got any sort of subtlety out of Johansson's uh, acting anyway, but I'm just saying it wouldn't. It would have missed the mark even further. Like, you know. So I don't know. I know I'm the I'm Mr. Negative. No, no, dude, no. It's film, cool. Like, like I find no, it, it balances out. Yeah, no. We can't it's just we can't just love like, this movie. I agree. I agree with you on 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 all, a lot of it for sure. I just like the movie. Yep. Despite, despite its flaws, it's just generally not my type of movie and i right I, yeah i would probably because you're not a 14 to 19 year old man you know what does that say about me then <laughs> well you two are I children i think we all know uh, i think we all know mr <laughs> mr sexy joe <laughs> well she's not even my, she's like so sexy. she's not even like 
my f- not even in my top 20 she's i don't even type. think she's not quite oh. my type yeah no dude she's she's everyone's type <laughs> you know if anyone sees her that's that's your type i don't care i don't care who you are yeah well I mean, she wouldn't even be like in the top 20 of like what i would find like the most attractive like actresses you know but she's i mean she's good looking oh, really right yeah Who's, just out of curiosity who is your number one? Oh gosh i don't even know but like come on for me know. for me like right now like the, off the top of my head i'm thinking like kate beckinsale uh yeah isa gonzalez she's in, from the from dusk till dawn film she has she's gonna be in baby driver oh yeah i'm um, so excited for baby driver looks so good but like the editing looks yeah. amazing I'm so excited i guess my look would be more like you know thin brunettes <laughs> tattooed like <drinks>. lanky yeah. <laughs> yeah like christina ritchie uh no not christina ritchie no not that yeah no yeah uh, <laughs> honestly scarlett johansson is is my number one <laughs> if i'm being honest she totally is um, it's great i just real quickly want to talk about this uh, shift into like things we talked about or what things we want to, things we watched because i finally got to see this saw raw which Oh yeah, that was good, huh? Was a great palate cleanser off of Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> I like was, the I like the pun there that you eat the, the palate, palate cleanser, cleanser for yeah, raw. Yeah, no, it was that's funny. It was you're funny, fucking good, and I'm so happy a movie like that got made because like it's not very often that like I don't know today's today's day and age like there's not that much good horror, you know? Right. A lot of it is just slack schlock shit. But this one was fucking good and when stuff did happen it was like you know i can handle a lot of stuff and it's not like this movie like made me sick or anything but it definitely is kind of like okay that's cringy like like was it like was the world that it created was it like i mean did it did it like keep you in totally okay cool. i was engaged the whole time definitely it was it was good and the pacing was just like you know it just kept going and the story kept rolling and it was like this the the premise is pretty simple once it starts going and uh you know like it, when the when the stuff starts happening it's kind of starts slowly but then it, it kind of ramps up pretty quickly mm-hmm. and uh there were some things i didn't really i didn't really understand what like if her issue was singular to her if it was a school wide thing I didn't really understand at first I didn't know if that was like some acceptable thing because like the school itself like the world that they build for the school is really weird weird hazing rituals and stuff and like what, hey just out of curiosity what what is a one sentence prem- premise for summary of, of this movie uh, what, what is it uh, a vegetarian is introdu- is vegetarian has, uh, eats meat for the first time and it unleashes uh, cannibalism in her Whoa. essentially that's crazy that's the premise yeah so like wow yeah so crazy. she she's forced to eat a rabbit liver as part of a hazing ritual and the, it's a it <laughs> causes her to go cannibal basically um, yeah that's that's sweet I don't I know if it's watch this. I don't know if it's spoiler to say I just won't say it. it. It's really good. It's really fucking good. And um, the actress chick is really good in it, for sure. And she goes through some shit um, nice. in the movie. And uh, it's interesting because uh, it's French, too. So, like, the things that they do and the things that they just don't give a shit about 
is really interesting. Like, yeah. her roommate is gay, and they kind of just, like, gloss over it. Like, it's not part of this. I mean, it does kind of become a sort of internal problem for him later, but, like, they don't really do much with it. He's just gay. And there's, like, a scene where she walks in on him, and he's getting a blowjob. Like, and he's just like, she walks in, she's dead. She walks in and she stands there and he just shuts the door and it's just a shot of her standing out the door and you can just hear her, hear him going, oh yeah, more. Yeah. Because that scene <laughs> has right. been done so many times, yeah. but not like that. No, totally. Yeah, yeah, it that's, was just that's, like this. That's, yeah. that's kind of cool. And they were just kind of like, all right, he's gay and he's getting blown. Like, cool. Like, whatever, I guess. That is Moving what it on. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's like, and then like, there's like nudity and stuff and they totally just like gloss over Nudity. Yeah, it's just it's just it's just a thing, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's so, really cool. No, oh, the neat. movie was good. My girlfriend really liked it as well, and like, I'm buying it as soon as it comes out on any sort of like like Blu-ray or whatever for sure. And I'm, I'm like, you're gonna you're gonna buy it on uh, Voodoo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't don't buy it on Voodoo. <laughs> I wasn't. Just I don't. don't. No, don't buy. Don't support Walmart. Don't, don't buy uh, digital shit. I want, I want solid. I want real. I want a disc. Well, yeah, I was like, you, the you, you didn't get it on uh, Ultraviolet, the the uh, premiere service. I'll have it on Ultraviolet if it comes locker. as part of the Blu-ray. <laughs> I mean, if it doesn't That's come, as, if it's not part of the Blu-ray, then no. I wonder if it. anyone uses Ultraviolet because it it's on every DVD case. It was on like every DVD case for like. A while, like five years. I don't yeah. know if it, is it still on Blu-rays and stuff. Like, I think it is. Everyone, like every once in a while, I'll pick a Blu-ray up and it. it's like there. Yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, weird. but have you ever like tried? No, to... I've never done it. But they expire why, too. Why would you buy a Blu-ray and then like? Why would you watch it? Why would you go watch it online after that? That just doesn't make. I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, dude, I watch this older film. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> what? what the fuck is so funny? Man, I don't know. I don't know why Byron is laughing. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so I, I watched this film um, a couple people. days ago called Revenge, um, directed by the late Tony Scott. Um, and it starred uh, Kevin Costner and Madeline Stow and uh, uh, Aiden Quinn or Anthony Quinn. Crap. Um, I don't know. Uh, but it's you guys gotta check it out it's this awesome film like it's like probably my favorite Tony Scott movie and it's probably my favorite Kevin Costner movie when was it made? Uh, 1992 I believe okay. it's like I feel like I've heard of it it's really it's really cool I, I believe it uh, Tarantino um, really really enjoyed that film oh, okay. um, and said that was I think one of his favorite Tony Scott films which nice. is funny because you know how he he makes fun of uh, Top Gun and that uh, scene from that movie <laughs> um, uh, Tarantino I forget what movie it is but he plays a character that like, he acts in the film and he's like talking four to some rooms? dude no it's not Four Rooms it's it's not one that he directed but it's just like some friends I don't know but he plays in this like you, you have to YouTube it it's funny and he he, he talks about um, his uh, theories on Goose and Tom Cruise and Top Gun. It's freaking hilarious. But yeah, you guys got to see Revenge. It's an awesome little film. Um, but there's two versions. There's a director's cut and then the theatrical cut. And I didn't watch the director's cut. But the director's cut, ironically, is 30 minutes shorter. Oh, interesting. And it's less, like, mm. controversial and stuff. So 
I don't know. I, I would just see the regular theatrical cut. I really enjoyed it. Cool. Cool. Well, I watched um, I watched two movies. I watched uh, The Belco Experiment, um, which was the same guys who did, like, The Purge. Oh, wow. Um, and it's very... It's basically The Purge, except it's in a, like, eight-story building. Um, so it's, like, this corporate office, and it all just kind of locks up, and it's... You know, they have to basically they're like, you have to kill uh, 50 people. Otherwise, we're going to flick, you know, otherwise we're going to kill like 100. people. Yeah. So they have to like try and decide like first, you know, and it it feels like they're actually hitting the right beats, like like how people would respond to that because they don't really believe it at first. Um, But then once people start dying, then they're like, okay, like and then there's these weird power dynamics that like get set up in the movie. And I. I really liked it. I, I think uh, my buddies who I watched it with, they liked Purge more. But, um, you know, I thought it was nice because it, it seemed like it was like this controlled experiment type thing. And um, I don't know. It just kind of had a lot of humanity in it, um, in my opinion. So I thought that was good. And then I also watched uh, Beauty and the Beast, um, which was, uh, you know, this it's this tiny movie, um, this tiny studio called Disney. <laughs> Studios. Um, I believe it was founded by Walter. Blanking on the name. Walter. Walt. Oh, Wal- Wal- Walrus. Walrus. <laughs> Walrus Disney. Wal- the Beatles. What? Oh, yeah. Anti Semite Disney. Walrus? Anti Semite Disney. What? Some, What's his name? Something. Jew hating. Big Jew hating guy. What? <laughs> Chewbacca Disney. I don't remember exactly. But anyways, tiny movie. Really good. Um, it uh, had a really, you know, it, it kept a lot of, like, what the original, you know, like, original songs and everything. But they also added some songs. And I thought that was really interesting because that's always a ballsy choice when you add songs to a movie that people love, you know, um, especially when it's a remake. And uh, some of the songs, I, in my opinion, were not good additions, but there was the exception of one that I thought really helped the movie, Um and it, it was a song that the Beast sings, and he, uh, I felt like it really, like, lets you in on what he wanted. You know what I mean? Because that's just something that's kind of missing from the original Beauty and the Beast. Like, it's, it's, it's not 100% missing, but it was, it was just nice because it gave, like, you an in into who he is and, and where he is at, that, at a particular moment of the film uh, that you don't get in the regular Beauty and the Beast and I, I thought it was a good addition who plays that, the that, beast oh who plays the beast good question <laughs> Google I feel like I just saw that I can't remember I cannot remember um, how was Emma Watson um, she was great um, honestly the my the you know the cool part about this movie is Josh Gad uh, in there, um, because he's like, he's gay for Gaston or whatever, and, <laughs> and it's uh, for you know, I th- I think some people <laughs> might find it tasteless, not because of the um, fact that he's gay, and you know, maybe people are like gay, gayists or what do you, what do you call it, like uh, homophobic. homophobic, homophobic, yeah. Gayest. I think maybe ten years from now, I'm I am guessing that. Uh, people will might think that it's not as funny as they do now because it's really funny josh does an amazing job 
Um, but you know, like all jokes about gay people or about anything like that, like I think ten years from now we might look at it and say that was kind of tasteless. You know what I mean? Um, but it's right now. It's I I think it's funny. But you know, <laughs> co- that's that's a cool thing about comedy because it's always changing. You know? Yeah, definitely. Um, so it's super interesting. But the guy who played Gaston, is, I'm sorry, uh, the Beast is Dan Stevens. Huh? huh. That's weird. That Never is. heard of him. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, we're running pretty long now, three hours and ten minutes. Damn. So, yeah, it went a lot longer than I thought it was going to go. So, uh, I think we could wrap it up. Um, so, if you have any questions, suggestions, opinions, or if you have any fact corrections, go ahead and send an email to btbfilmspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're always trying to learn new things, so we'd love to hear from you. Uh, when we get our website up and running, you can check it out, and I'll be saying what the web address is once we get that going. Our intro and outro music was composed by Curtis Skinner, who can be found at skinnyproducing.com. Uh, next week, we'll be covering Yojimbo and Moonrise Kingdom, and we'll be talking about auteur theory, if it exists, what it is, if it's you know, if it's really a thing. It's debatable. So we'll be talking about that. Uh, Make sure you watch the films to be a part of the discussion. And thanks for listening and happy viewing. And also, if you hated the new Ghost in the Shell, please write in to the show because Keith needs to hear more. He needs. Do I need to hear more? So (laughs) he needs. He needs someone to relate to. So I don't think I need someone. I think there's plenty of people out there who really did not like the movies. So you know, I think I'm doing all right. Just uh, send them all the bad reviews, you know. <laughs> like if Ebert does a bad review, you know, send it to. Keep or just hit me up on letter. Like hit me up on Letterbox, you know. You can see all my yeah. reviews there. I've been writing like little short reviews and star ratings and shit like that. So yeah, that's, just that's the place to go. Bombard him. Bombard <laughs> him with negativity. Oh my god. Do I it. think I already exude enough negativity. <laughs> uh, it's, all, it's all good. <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks for listening. Sweet. Thanks. All right. See you guys.